Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Friday, February 16th, 2024. My 21st birthday is on Monday, three days from now. Uh, the NFL season is officially over. The MLB season just around the corner. When you're listening to this, six days until the first spring training game, Champions League soccer has resumed. The, ro- the round of 16 has begun. It's been electric. And uh, we're nearing kind of the final few months of the Premier League season. It's going to go until about mid-May. Um, so we're in an interesting time in sports, but that definitely doesn't mean we have nothing to talk about. We have plenty of things to go over. Uh, Super Bowl and NFL season overreactions. That one, you know, we'll kind of explain when we get to it. Uh, but I figured, why not kind of recap the season by maybe overreacting a little bit to what we've seen. Uh, our top 10 starting pitchers from 2023 to round out our positional rankings for the MLB last season. The Premier League, of course, we have some games to talk about there. The Champions League, we have last week's game, or, or this past week's games and next week's games to talk about. And then we'll round it out with questions time. Uh, before we get into it, though, uh, let's just talk about a couple of the headlines uh, around sports right now. Uh, first, uh, Mbappe has officially informed PSG he's leaving in the summer. What does that mean, though? <laughs> Probably going to Real Madrid, um, I would assume. But he has said that he is officially leaving. That was as of today. I don't know. I, I thought he has said that before. That's kind of what I meant by what does that mean? Because I honestly with Mbappe and I feel like yeah. you can sympathize with me here. I will not believe it until I see it. That's fair. This one is like coming directly from like ESPN saying Mbappe told PSG he intends to leave the club when his contract expires this summer. That's exciting. Yeah. I, I feel like Real Madrid is the spot to end up. <laughs> most likely um but it definitely opens the door uh for a little bit um let's see the other big thing um was the chief super bowl parade yesterday um and the that, shooting oh my that occurred fucking God. yeah one person dead 22 injured uh at the super bowl parade the the videos are scary to say the least Absolutely yeah, horrifying. When, when I think of Super Bowl parades, like just kind of thinking back to some of like some of the classic pictures that you'll get of like um, when the Steelers won Super Bowl parades or had Super Bowl parades. And there's like, you know, just terrible towels like inside of parking yeah. garages just to watch the team roll through downtown. And it's like the Super Bowl parade is really even if it's not my team winning, I think the parades are very underrated and like the happiness that it can bring to even other fans in the NFL. It genuinely is a good time, no matter yeah. who it is. Yeah, and, and there's uh, always such great moments from it. I think that's how we view a lot of these parades. We see the guys chugging beers uh, on the bus, and we see all this other things happening, and we see a community come together, and to see something like this happen was devastating. Yeah, um, but, you know, to not um, – to talk about something very cool about the Super Bowl parade, though, obviously I, I know that the shooting is kind of the elephant in the room there, and obviously second and short gives our condolences and, you know, all, all that good stuff to the one person who died and their families. But um, Willie Gay Jr. running down the street, yeah, drunk as hell, was absolutely yeah. amazing to see. That, that was, was fantastic. 
<laughs> yeah. That was uh, fantastic. Obviously, all of the good moments of that kind of being overshadowed by this horrendous event. Um, Big time. So, you know, I, I believe both uh, both shooters are in custody. Um, last time I checked, I think that was the update I got. Uh, but mm. apparently the, the shooting good. happened because of a, a dispute between uh, a couple of people. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Victims uh, between the ages of 8 and 47 years old. Um, but, mm. yeah, the one the one passing being a 23-year-old woman, just super, super sad. It, it's, it's just horrible uh, to see things like that happen, especially at an event like that. Like, this is something, you know, four, four times a year. We have a championship parade, you know, all all across the country, but we have one for the MLB, the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, and it's supposed to be this wonderful moment of togetherness and community and celebration of a team and celebration of a sport and this a tremendous achievement, and then something like this happens, and, and this is certainly something that won't be forgotten going forward who knows what the case is like these guys were idiots clearly something wrong going on in their head to first of all like you don't need to take a gun to a a Super Bowl parade uh, first of all and then a dispute happens and it resorts to that but it's like there was 800 police officers in attendance across this parade across the route and at the celebration. And like, it it just, I'm dumbfounded by the fact that anybody would do this in such a setting. Yeah. And I I think, um, another reason that it's so shocking and so sad for me, especially is, uh, sports are supposed to be, you know, something that tragedy cannot touch. And and of course it, it does in general. Um, but and and what tragedy I'm kind of talking towards like maybe something like the the Demar Hamlin situation right where that was like an injury related thing yeah but um it, it's just freaky that somebody would shoot up a Super Bowl parade I mean I mean sports are the ultimate bringing together of people from all walks of life uh, yeah all genders you know all kinds of stuff and it's just um it, it's very scary to me that this this happened because uh. It's just something that I would have never expected. Yeah. It's horrible. I will say it was uh, genuinely like the people that I saw the video of fans like uh, tackling one of the shooters. That was amazing. That that's like fantastic. That is a a, a feat that not many get the chance to do and not many would, you know, take upon themselves to do. So, uh, you know, to those people, Wow, like you're literal superheroes. Mm-hmm. Like you actually sure. saved lives. So, um, yeah, that was such a, a wild time, um, and, and such an insane event to occur. You know, throughout all this. But um, let's move on and, and get into the real meat and potatoes of the episode. And we'll start with our NFL season overreactions. I guess is what we'll call it. Um, Essentially, each of us have brought five topics to the table that are overreactions, either by the media, by ourselves, whatever, um, based on what has happened this season. So two of them must be from the Super Bowl, considering it you know, happened on Sunday. 
Um, and uh, that's kind of the only stipulation. So um, do you want to start or you want me to take the lead? Um, I'll, I'll let you have this one. I'll okay. follow up on you. Uh, yep. I'm going to start light here. I think that the importance and prominence of Super Bowl commercials is over. I think it is simply mm. done. First of all, you can get more eyes on uh, an announcement, a movie trailer, you know, uh, whatever. You can get more eyes by posting it on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and whatever than you're going to get by putting it on during the Super Bowl. But on top of it, the price is ridiculous. The return is, I'm sure, great for some. But, like, it just amazes me. And, like, some people did it right this year, and I'll give them their credit. I think Disney and Marvel did it right by doing the Deadpool and Wolverine um, teaser. They only bought a 30-second spot or maybe a minute spot and then told everybody to watch the full trailer online. That's the way you should be doing it. Companies like Timu, Temu, whatever you want to say, bought like four spots, and they were all like one-and-a-half to two-minute spots. Mm. And they were the same thing every time. The whole point of this exclusivity of the Super Bowl is that we're supposed to get these super high-quality, well-thought-out, like, big names in these commercials and all this stuff. And it was just like an animated, a couple minute long commercial. It just didn't make sense to me. And like Uber Eats did some commercials and such, but like, I just think that overall, yes, it was just a down year commercial wise, which sounds so stupid to say, but like when we look back at, you know, the recent history of Super Bowl commercials, it is a big deal. There are people that watch, like I, like me and Colin were watching the game, like me and me and Ethan as well, like watching the game. It would go to commercial break, and like we kind of sit up in our seats, be like, "Oh, what kind of yeah. thing could get announced? Maybe we're gonna get, you know, this announcement or that thing." Like, I don't know, and it, it was just all underwhelming. Um, I, I just think that with social media and how easy it is to just get eyes on things. It's so much simpler, so much more cost-effective, even to put as much money as you do into making a Super Bowl commercial and just post it online without having to buy a spot. Yeah, I, I, that, that's fair. I, I get that. I, I think, um, I, I don't know, it's a good point. Um, definitely a down year. I, I agree with you on that. And maybe, to your point, the down year kind of opens eyes to these companies and maybe they kind of look for, you know, oh, Maybe we don't have to necessarily go all out yeah. for this anymore. Um, I, I like your idea of the, or the Wolverine and Deadpool idea. The the teaser and then the watch it on you know YouTube yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That was good. That's a good idea. I, I think that's the best way to go about it. And like like Duncan had a, a great classic, like it was the classic setup of how a Super Bowl commercial goes. You buy, you know, two and a half or one and a half, two minute spot, you just get big names. Ben Affleck. Tom Brady, Matt Damon, Jennifer Lopez, all in the commercial. You put out the commercial, it's funny, it's whatever. And people are like, okay, yeah, you think that in your mind. I, You know, you drive past your local Dunkin' Donuts, and you're like, oh, I saw that commercial with Ben Affleck and Tom Brady and all that. 
And you're like, okay, maybe I'll stop there and get something. Maybe that's not going to be the case, but like, I didn't see that Timu ad and was just like, you know what I need to do? I need to go buy 15 things that cost $1 that really should not cost $1 and might <laughs> lead to like my death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, I think, I think they've, they've lost their, like the enamor around Super Bowl commercials just kind of gone. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm also going to keep it with the Super Bowl, and I'm going to go ahead and get into my first overreaction, and that's that uh, Brock Purdy is an elite quarterback. Um, I like it. Definitely. <laughs> it, I, this one I kind of picked because it's been highly debated, especially I think Shannon Sharp is kind of like the, the most popular hater of Brock Purdy that I've kind of heard of yeah. recently. And um, I just, you know, beginning of the season, I, I was kind of on that side, but... <laughs> Now it's it's he's definitely here to stay and he played a very competitive game in, in the Super Bowl against against the Kansas City Chiefs. Brock Purdy is totally an elite quarterback and you know what maybe being a game manager is is what he's going to be elite, you know, elite and known for if that makes sense. It Tom Brady did the same thing. Yeah. I I actually and, like that I, a lot. And I I want to compare, you know, the peers. So Tom Brady you know, had I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers for this example. Quarterbacks that were by far more entertaining than Tom Brady. But look what the game manager has on his accolades, and look what the other yeah. two have. The other two are still impressive, but Brady is on a way different level. You know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes might look more impressive than Brock Purdy, but what Brock Purdy can do better than any other quarterback can do is what's going to win him Super Bowls. And, you know, I, of course, Mahomes has won his, but there, there's definitely Super Bowls for Brock Purdy. And, and that's kind of my comparison. So to recap, Brock Purdy is definitely an elite quarterback in the NFL. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my my second Super Bowl take kind of rides off the back of that. And it's that I think Brock Purdy's getting far too much hate for losing the Super Bowl and his performance in the Super Bowl considering that he led this team to overtime in the Super Bowl as a second-year player with less than a season and a half worth of starts. This is a young guy who had literally zero belief in him until he started throwing a couple of touchdowns at the end of last season. All of a sudden, we come into this year, there's these ridiculous expectations for him that just honestly shouldn't be that high. And then I, I, I think at some point, People kind of went from this high expectation and they mellowed it out. And then they realized, oh, this guy exceeds the expectations every single time. Yeah. And then we get into the Super Bowl. And uh, because, like, if he had the same performance that he had in the in the Super Bowl in every other playoff game, because, like, he didn't do anything ridiculous. Like, he never, he didn't have a 400 passing yard game with four touchdowns that just was a game changing performance to, to really capture the win. It was a team effort in every single game. They played it close with the Packers, they won it. They played it close with the Lions, they won it. They, and then they play it close with the Chiefs, it doesn't go their way. And all of a sudden, Brock Purdy's a bad quarterback. I, I, I don't, I don't understand lines. that. And look, I get it. There are better quarterbacks than Brock Purdy. For sure. There's a lot of better quarterbacks. You're not keeping this team together if you go out and buy 
a new quarterback. If you go out and get a better quarterback, Brock Purdy doesn't make enough money to hit the cap. He doesn't affect the cap space (laughs) because he's paid so little. So if you go out and you get Kirk Cousins, you know, just an example of a free agent this season, if you go out and get Kirk Cousins, who who are you giving up? Because you're not going to be able to pay Ayuk. You're not going to be able to pay Debo. You, you, you can only have one. Okay, but also Christian McCaffrey is the highest paid running back. George Kittle, one of the highest paid tight ends. Go to the defense, Fred Warner, one of the highest paid players. He's got a long-term deal. You're paying for him too. You're paying for Chavarius Ward, who's going to need an extension You know, right here down the road. Talano Hufanga, who's coming up on the end of his rookie contract. So many names. Chase Young is going to need an extension if you want to keep him around. You're paying a lot of guys. The fact that Brock Purdy gets paid literally nothing, according to the cap, and is winning you football games and took you to a Super Bowl, just work with it. Because it's the only way that you're going to keep this team intact. Yeah. I, I like that. And and the team has really gotten around him. They they love yeah. that guy over there. They really do. Yeah. Yeah, I like that take. Um. And might as well keep it with the Super Bowl, but um, my overreaction is that the Chiefs are an offense team. And the reason that I'm overreacting to that is I think they're more of a defense team now. And, and maybe that's something that's obvious, but I, I don't think that the media necessarily covers that very well. Yeah. And, and we saw it all year. The, this is the worst Chiefs team we've seen only because their offense was not nearly mm-hmm. as good as their defense. Um. But they're still in the bowl. They're Super Bowl champions now. Yeah. And they're definitely Super Bowl champions more because of their defense than their offense, in my opinion. Yes, it was their offense that drove them down the field, and you know they ended up uh, scoring that touchdown there to Mecole Hardman. But the defense is what kept them in the game the entire time because the 49ers' defense was – for a second there, it was looking like when the Chiefs played the Buccaneers in that one Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes was doing a lot of running around because yeah. that pass rush was just way too dominant. But on the other end, if your defense is playing you know, as well and is also getting turnovers like the 49ers defense was, that's, that's a good-ass defense that the Chiefs have, and their offense should stop getting all the credit. Yeah, their defense this season only gave up over 20 points three times. The defense was that's fantastic. Ridiculous all season and everybody of course had something to say about the offense because it like you said it wasn't the same Chiefs offense we've seen in years prior of course Travis Kelsey was still great didn't have a thousand yards this year which was surprising they didn't have a ridiculously good wide receiver yet Rashi Rice was very good especially down the stretch and he had some good performances throughout the year Isaiah Pacheco almost rushed for a thousand yards and just over 200 carries he had a great year as well like I think their offense got underrated because of just Kadarius Tony and the drop passes and all this other stuff going around like going around with this team and like the fact that Patrick Mahomes wasn't the best quarterback in the in the NFL this season he is the best quarterback in the NFL he wasn't this season at least in the regular season so this offense got underrated it was still a good offense. They were putting up mid-20s, low-30s pretty regularly to win games. Yep. But the defense got so underrated that it comes to this playoff and all of a sudden the offense looks good and the and the defense is still getting overlooked. You've got 
Lejarius Sneed, who locked down all of your favorite wide receivers this season. He locked all of them. And he wasn't even a first-team All-Pro. He was second-team. You had a first-team All-Pro at slot corner with Trent McDuffie. You had Chris Jones, one of the highest-paid players in the NFL. And you just have numerous other great players. Nick Bolton was fantastic. Willie Gay was fantastic. These guys did it all year and got no respect. Now, they win a Super Bowl, and all of a sudden, oh, well, it's because Patrick Mahomes. Like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes plays a huge factor in this. But that defense was amazing. And, and and people had this same or people had this gripe about Tom Brady saying that he never had a bad defense when he won a Super Bowl. Neither has Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes has not had a bad defense when he won a Super Bowl. And we keep talking about, oh, well, is is Patrick Mahomes like Patrick Mahomes is ahead of Brady on pace and blah, 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 blah. Sure, whatever. Give them whatever you'd like. It took a defense to get there. If you wanted a team with no defense to get there, go look at what the Chargers did this season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. So I, I think a big part of them being viewed as an offensive team is just the fact that Patrick Mahomes and and, and Travis Kelsey are there. Yeah. If you had somebody, you know, two guys that weren't as big of superstars but maybe are – good players. Let's say you replaced Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey with, obviously it's hard to compare somebody to Patrick Mahomes, but I, I don't know. Let's say Jalen Hurts and at tight end, it's Sam Laporta. Yeah. Nobody gives a fuck about that offense. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm being honest. Nobody would care about that offense. Yeah. Other than the fact that, yeah, Jalen Hurts can do some great things and Sam Laporta did some great things this year and both of them got their attention. They don't bring the attention that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey do. They don't have Taylor exactly. Swift in the box watching every game for the half, second half of the season and all the playoff games. They don't have that mm-hmm. allure uh, you know, without Travis Kelsey or, or Patrick Mahomes and all of the attention around Patrick Mahomes. But if they play just as good, they would get half the attention. But the defense would yeah. be great. The defense would be shining. Everybody would know that Legereus Sneed had a great year. Everybody would know that Trent McDuffie is one of the best slot corners in the game, probably the best right now. Everybody would know that Chris Jones is about his fucking business. Everybody would know that George Karloftis exists. Half the people that watch that Super Bowl probably don't know that George Karloftis exists. Mm-mm. And he's fantastic. So, hey, I'm going to I'm going to rest my case so we can move on, but so yeah. you, you agree with me? Oh, 100% I agree with you. They're a defensive team. It's just that the faces of that team are the offense. I love it. Let's hear yours. Uh, so I'm kind of out of Super Bowl ones, so let's get into some ones from the, the regular season <laughs> and the playoffs. Um, you might not like this one. I think we might disagree here. Um, oh, no. The coaching and front office issues are the problem for the Cowboys, not Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is not the problem. Um, I I think they have... I want to hear you out. One of the... They have a great owner in Jerry Jones. He just also Mm. happens to be an abysmal fucking GM. There you go. 
who is so <laughs> stuck in his ways that he will not allow anybody to come in and make changes. Being the assistant GM of the Cowboys, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's at all the things. He's at all the press conferences and stuff. He's he's practically Dwight Schrute from the office. He is the assistant to the regional manager. That's what that is. He does yeah. nothing. His job is to sit there and be a figurehead when everything's going great and being like, oh, well, well, he was helping me. But he's also the guy that gets, you know, crucified when things aren't going right because Jerry Jones won't take the accountability. Jerry Jones will put it on a head coach. He'll put it on Jason Garrett, who had a couple of good seasons as their head coach. He'll put it on other guys. He'll put it on Mike McCarthy all the time. He talks so much shit about his own fucking head coach that he hired, and he has the choice to fire or keep, and he keeps bringing him back. So the coaching was awful. The play calling was better than last year. I think it was better than what we saw a lot of with Kellen Moore, uh, which Mike McCarthy was the play caller. He did a good job at that. I just... I don't think he's a leader for Dallas. I think Dak is a great team leader as a player. I think they have so many good players. But Dak is not the primary problem for the Cowboys and why they can't move on. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to agree with you. And I know you said that uh, I may not, but... um... I'm definitely with you. Uh, it, it's crazy what can happen to a Cowboys offense when Dak limits turnovers. And we saw that this year. Um, I really feel like it was the first time in a while we have seen the Cowboys be able to absolutely just dominate football games. Yeah. And and that was a different feeling for them. So they're, they're definitely, whatever they did this year, they're moving in the right direction. But there's been one consistent person who has stayed consistent in his job throughout you know the, his tenure in this organization. And granted, he has won Super Bowls like 50 years ago. <laughs> and, and I just I, I think that um, you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's Jerry Jones being stuck in his own ways. Um, that's kind of been the one thing that's holding this team back from getting that yeah. next um, that next level. And yeah, I completely agree. But on the other hand, and I like how you admitted this at well, Jerry Jones is a good owner. There, there's a very good reason why the Cowboys are probably like one of the only American teams beside the Yankees that are one of the highest valued franchises in the entire world. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time, Jerry Jones has probably, you know, kind of been the spearhead of that. Um, it, it's just when it comes to managing a team, I, I just don't think I, I think he's what's holding him back. So I like that take. Yeah, I just think they, they cause so many issues for themselves. And look, I know like if, if we look at this playoff game that they played, this offense scored 32 points. They lost, which two of those touchdowns, you could put them on Dak. One of them, the pick six. One of them, an interception that led to a 19-yard touchdown. Like Those are two bad spots. His only two picks of the game, which only two is kind of redundant, but... <laughs> If you, you know, they gave up a, a 70 yard drive that took seven and a half, or sorry, almost eight minutes for the first touchdown in the game on the first drive that Green Bay played. You gave up a, another touchdown um, that was a 93 yard drive after a fantastic punt that put them on the seven. You gave up a 93 yard drive for a touchdown that took five minutes and 44 seconds. 
the defense was the issue in that playoff game. And you can't say otherwise because the Cowboys put up 32, and 32 points is enough to win a game in the NFL every single time. But if you give up 48, <laughs> obviously the math doesn't you know add up there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, let's move on to your next one. All right. Uh, this one is going to make you extremely happy in your pants. The Packers are a real deal team in the NFL. Yes. And uh, once again, I, I'm going to come back to, you know, I, I love calling myself out because I think it's absolutely hilarious when I'm dead wrong. Yeah. I, I, if you go back to like the episode leading into like kind of where we're previewing, um, previewing divisions or yep. previewing week one, I could not have been more wrong about the Green Bay Packers. And, and Jordan Love. Specifically, <laughs> and Jordan Love and Romeo Dubs. I, I could not have been more wrong about it all. Yeah. Um, that is an offense that is very exciting. It's an offense that could beat any defense in the NFL. And um, I, I really don't have much more to elaborate on it, but the, the Packers are surprisingly – for me, that it just everything clicked for them this season, and they can only get better. So the Packers are going to be a real deal team. Yeah, if you want to hear Luke uh, talk, um, or me and him argue about Jordan Love, uh, go back to episode eighty-one for our NFC North preview. Uh, that was September first. Yeah, uh, if you'd like to hear Damn, that conversation, even gave them the episode. Yeah, well, I, I would like people I mean, to go you, back you and you listen to me be right. Ah. <laughs> I could um, give you the timestamp if you gave me a couple of minutes, but um, I'll even give you a no. hot take right now. I think the the Packers could be better than the Vikings next next season. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially if Kirk leaves. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. If Kirk leaves, I'm I'm all I'm all for that take right there. Uh, I think the Packers are going to win that division next year. Um, I don't know about all. No, I I do. <laughs> I think Dan Campbell's decision making will bite him in the ass in the regular season just like it did in the playoffs. Um, but uh, let's go to um, my next take. I, uh, first of all, I didn't really address much of your take. I love it, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, big Packer guy over here. Yeah, look, I was rooting I was rooting for him good, especially when you were like, they're not going to be that. They're going to be bad. Jordan Love hasn't done anything, blah, blah, blah. Like That whole conversation made me want to root for them all year. And at times, it was definitely tough to root for them, and they didn't look good, and I looked wrong. I think I probably called myself out for being wrong at some point, but they made the late push. They won a playoff game, and they played a real close one with a team that eventually went to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think sure. the Packers way overplayed what we thought they could, and I think they're just going to get better. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, my next thing. Uh, if Devontae Adams wants to remain a top five wide receiver in this league, he has to leave Las Vegas this summer. He, he's okay. got to play somewhere else with better talent and a, an ability to win football games, the ability to go to the playoffs, and that's not in Vegas right now. Yeah, no, I, I like that take a lot. Um it's a team that's just kind of uh, it's incredibly unstable, and I feel like it's been unstable for probably like four or five years now. Um, and and that's just not it's not a good environment for him. You know, he he went there to be stable with his quarterback from college and Derek Carr. He leaves the season after, and 
you know, then at, at the end of last season, we saw him not really putting up Devontae Adams numbers when he can still yeah. be Devontae Adams. So I, I like that take a lot. Yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of there's better places for him to be. There's better places that the Vegas could send him. There's better, like the Raiders could send him somewhere better that honestly is probably going to benefit them more. Move up in the draft. Make, you know, or, yeah. or just pick up more draft capital this season with Devontae Adams and leverage that forward. Get a quarterback that throws for more than 63 yards to beat the Chiefs. Throw, you know, go get uh, a running back that maybe shows a little more consistency but doesn't want as much money as Josh Jacobs. And, and keep, yeah, keep building around that defense that you have. Add a young wide receiver that is looking to prove himself instead of a wide receiver that has proved himself for years and now he just wants the money. Go out and do that because it's going to help you and Devontae Adams. It's going to help him as well. Part on good terms and 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 you're good to go. Because look, Devontae Adams, it's very clear that when he went to the Raiders, it was a matter of, okay, uh, maybe we'll get Rodgers here. That didn't happen. So he got to go play with, or sorry, he thought that Rodgers would stay in Green Bay. He didn't. So Devontae leaves as well. I guess, no, I'm wrong. Aaron actually stayed. Devontae left. Oh, what happened to your camera? I don't know what happened to my camera. Okay. Well, yeah, what I was saying, I I think people thought that Rodgers could go to Vegas. They thought he could go to Denver. Devontae ends up going to Vegas because he's like, okay, well, I'll play with Derek Carr because I don't know what the deal is with Aaron. And all of a sudden, he's entirely fucked himself over uh, and is rotting away quickly in Las Vegas. And so I think he has to make a move. Um if he wants to go anywhere, uh, you know, in the next couple of years, we're trying gotcha. to figure out this what camera situation. I can pause. On. Sorry. Okay. Sorry about the technical difficulties. We got everything sorted out. Um, so yeah, we just kind of wrapped up the uh, Devonte Adams conversation. Um, anywhere you think in particular he should go? Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of a team that's like buying right now. Um, no, I, I can't really, I can't think of one right now. Maybe, um, maybe Carolina. Oh, oh God. Ugh. Maybe Carol- the- I, I'm just trying to think of teams that would reach for him. I, I don't really what know. What about, uh, okay. So I've seen a few things saying that, um, since the bears have two picks in the first round, they might go wide receiver. What if. They trade that second first rounder and get Devontae Adams. See, I, I was I was gonna say the Bears first, but I want them to draft Marvin Harrison so bad. I do too, but I don't think they will. Not at one, um, unless they trade it away, which I is definitely likely. Uh, Maybe Arizona, definitely, definitely possible. <sighs> it's a good place to go and die. Yeah. Um. The Jets makes the most sense just because of Rodgers. But Garrett Wilson has got to get paid. Yep. Uh, so that's tough. Um, trying to think, you know, this would be an interesting one. Keenan Allen might be out the door in Los Angeles. Go to the Chargers. Yeah. It's in the Go division. The Chargers play with Mike tough. Williams. Yeah, under Jim Harbaugh. 
Got Justin Herbert at quarterback. You know he can sling it. Yep. I don't hate that. <laughs> now that I'm kind of running through it in my head, I, I actually kind of like that uh, a lot. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, what's your next uh, take? Uh, well, you know, you were talking about the Jets, and I, I feel like we've somehow consistently perfectly segued into all of our overreactions I don't know how we here, did that, so. but, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, it's it's because you and I are precious together. Um, yeah. Anyway, my, my next overreaction is do not forget about the Jets. I, I, I haven't really – I feel like during the regular season, they were kind of starting to become like a meme, and rightfully so. Yeah, they were bad. Wrong, but <laughs> really fucking now bad. That, now that the Super Bowl is over, and we can look forward to an Aaron Rodgers that was honestly probably healthy, like by like week like 14, <laughs> now we can look yeah. for him next season. And I, I just think that... Um, you know, he literally got hurt week one, didn't even get to throw a pass. Yeah, we well. have no idea what New York can do with Aaron Rodgers yet. And I feel like Agreed. that whole year of him being injured and not not really having a lot of media yeah. attention besides like hard knocks, I think um the Jets could still still be scary. I, I like the Jets a lot going into next season, still. Yeah, and I think the best thing is, you know, obviously it sucks that Rodgers was hurt all of last season, but one thing that benefits them is the fact that it gave some of those young guys that are such impact players to get another year under their belt. Garrett Wilson now has another year under his belt. Brees Hall got a year to come back from that horrible ACL injury and get to full health so that going into next season, he's going to be healthy. Your defensive yep. side, Quinnen Williams and his brother Quincy have become superstars in the past year and a half, and they are fantastic. Sauce Gardner gets another year under his belt. A little more struggle that we saw this season for Sauce Gardner. But he's just going to get better from it. And the same goes all around the field for that team. The defense is amazing. We know that. We talked about it all year. The offense, with a competent quarterback, has weapons all over the field. Brees Hall can be an impact running back. He was a good running back this season, and nobody really talked about him. Like, the, yeah. There is so many guys on that team that can be great. They're probably going to add some more talent this offseason to prepare for Rodgers to come in. And I, I definitely agree. We cannot forget about them going into next season because I think they're going to be really good. Yeah, fantastic. And and if you want to take it a little bit further, you know, last season they truly had to grind offensively and def- defensively. They were not a good team last year without Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. I feel like if... If if those players are really bought into that organization and they're bought in for the future of that team, it'll just make it a hell of a lot easier for them next season with Aaron Rodgers. All right. Well, um, I'm going to start up with my last, uh, my last overreaction, and uh, okay, this one's probably the most controversial of my my uh, answers. Uh, so, uh, Austin Eckler is not top 10, maybe not top 15 running back in this league. There's a lot of good running backs. I got a list of them that I think are all better than him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here we go. This is in can no I, particular like order. Yes? Yeah, can I yeah, yeah, say yeah. Yes after No, we minute? can, we can okay. discuss different guys, um, but I can assure you he is not top 10 because... There are certainly 10 guys littered throughout this list, and there's probably more guys I can name that I didn't think are better um, you know, at the moment or maybe could be better in the future. 
But no particular order. Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, I think Kyron Williams is a better running back. And I'm not just basing this off of this season. I'm talking just career-wise, like looking at the top team, like players in this in the in the league, not just in 2023-2024. Uh, I'm talking overall. So CMC, Derrick Henry, Kyron Williams, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Jonathan Taylor, Raheem Mostert, because he he does his job. Um, James Cook is a better running back than Austin Eckler. James Conner, Travis Etienne, Tony Pollard, DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall, Jameer Gibbs, Bijan Robinson, Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, and Joe Mixon are all better than Austin Eckler. Yeah. I, the only question is Raheem Mostert for me. Okay. I think that with Ma- Raheem one. Mostert, it's a matter of production. He's one. Of, he's got one of the highest yards per carries for a career in NFL history. And he just scored, what, 25 touchdowns this season? 20-something touchdowns? No way. Did he actually? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he scored okay. um, quite a few uh, touchdowns. He had yeah, maybe, so he was a he was a one thousand yard rusher and he had eighteen rushing touchdowns and he had three receiving touchdowns so twenty one touchdowns. Yeah, I, I the only thing that I will give Eckler is I remember when we did our top ten running backs of the NFL for yeah. last season. And I, I think you had him either off or really low on your list. Very and I brought low. up the fact that he had like 950 yeah. receiving yards. That unbelievable stat for a running for back. For sure. But there is just something about the way, like his body language, his speed, all, you know, all of last season that just killed my love yeah. for him. I, I don't know how to explain it, but he literally, like, just looked like he wasn't even trying and didn't care that he wasn't trying. I agree. In my opinion. Yeah. So I like that list. Yeah. And like for Eckler, like, so he is one of the least efficient runners in the NFL when it comes to starting running backs. He only gets, uh, I think he had 3.5 yards per carry this season. And, and I will say he only played like 11 games this year. Um, but yeah. considering he only played 11 games, to have the 31st most carries is kind of crazy when you consider that he missed six games. Um, yeah. And he only had 628 yards. He only scored five rushing touchdowns. He had 3.5 yards per carry. He had 51 receptions for 436 yards. So all, all purpose, he did break 1,000. But, like, the inefficiency kills me. He, like, as a running back, if I'm talking about the position, he doesn't play the position like anybody else, and it hurts him a lot. Um, He also fumbled the ball five times, uh, which ranks him up with uh, quarterbacks in fumbles this season. Uh, So that's not good either. Um, So, yeah, I just, I think he's on a rapid decline. He's 28 years old. He's kind of getting to that point where you start exiting your prime as a running back. Um, and he's probably going somewhere else as well. 
which doesn't bode well for him. Like that. So yeah, I think Austin Eckler sucks. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think not going well or going somewhere else doesn't or does bode well for him? Because I can kind of see. I think both going sides. anywhere is gonna make him not as good. Um, yeah, I, I haven't looked at like potential landing spots, but teams I could think of that could go out and get him like the New York Giants, who are probably going to lose Saquon this offseason, uh, is certainly an option. I think um, uh, I'm trying to think of some others that, that could go after him that need a running back. Uh, the, the Raiders. Um, what if the Cowboys did? I think you'd be dumb. I think you re-signed Pollard. Um, and you keep using, uh, what's his name? Rico Dowdle? Rico he Dowdle. Good. Love that guy. Yeah, he was yeah. pretty good. I do love that guy. I, I think I think it'd be a bad move, personally. Okay. But, yeah, he could end up anywhere. I don't think he's that good. All right, your, uh, your final uh, overreaction. Yes, yeah, so my final overreaction is that the Falcons and the Steelers are serious contenders. They just need a quarterback. And I'll agree. This yeah. this is something that I truly believe in in both teams, and I I don't know I don't know if you're being if you're being smart with me by saying that you'll agree, but I, no, I think it's hundred percent true. That I really do for for both of our situations, and they're they're honestly kind of similar. Um, yeah, offensive weapons kind of spread around, except the Falcons have a way better offensive line than the Steelers do. Um, but you know, Fryermuth, Kyle Pitts, which you, we can debate Fryermuth and Kyle Pitts all day, but Kyle. Firemuth probably has the better stats recently, but Kyle Pitts is a higher ceiling. Yeah. Drake London and Deontay Johnson. So, and, and then Najee yeah. and Warren complement the Algier and uh, uh, Bijan. Yeah. So I really, truly believe that quarterback play was the one thing holding these two teams back. And to go further, both of our defenses were solid all Agreed. season long. Yeah. The, the reason that we won most of our games, the Steelers and the Falcons, was because our defense. Yeah. I, I mean, if, you know, the Falcons have Jesse Bates that's able to get them ridiculous pick sixes against the Saints and just interceptions whenever he really feels like it. And then on the Steelers' side, they have T.J. Watt, who's a complete game wrecker yeah. as a pass rusher. Yeah, and I think the, one, of the other, of the year. one of the other issues, at least for the Falcons, was head coach. And I think, you know, Raheem, Raheem kind of addresses the, the, the problem. I don't know how good he's going to be. I have no idea. Yeah. You guys know for sure that you have one of the best head coaches in the history of the NFL. So that's an advantage you have over the Falcons. It's that the coaching's there. It's about the performance on the field, uh, whereas we obviously do need a quarterback, uh, but we also have to make sure that the head coach is, is addressed and, and done correctly. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that that's an overreaction is, you know, I, I don't really feel like the Falcons – or the Steelers are taken very seriously. And it really breaks my heart just with the, you know, the tradition and the history of the Steelers yeah. that now we can still be a playoff team, but everybody knows they're just going <laughs> to kick our ass. Anybody in the AFC would have wanted to play the Steelers. Yeah. And it shouldn't be like yeah. that. And the reason that it's like that is because we don't have a quarterback that can manage our offense and move us down the field efficiently. And if Mason Rudolph, a third string forgotten quarterback, out of Oklahoma State, if he can come in and four games throw almost a thousand yards and take us to the playoffs, what can a real quarterback do? <laughs> yeah. 
So I guess that's that's, that's my two cents. So the Falcons and the Steelers are a quarterback away from being really, really good football teams. Yeah. I really liked that segment. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that too. That was a pretty fun one. I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll just kind of keep going through some things that uh, we can do. Maybe we'll start up the positional rankings soon. Maybe maybe we'll scrap positional rankings. Maybe we'll cut out a few of them because it definitely took a while <laughs> to go Ooh, yeah. through positional <laughs> rankings last year. Um, yep. Same with the MLB. It's taken <laughs> quite a while. Um, but for the NFL, maybe we'll, we'll scrap a couple. I think we maybe um, – we definitely had some weeks where we were just like, I don't even know what to talk about uh, for these players. Um, so yeah, we'll figure out, you know, content wise. And obviously like there's, there's always news happening. So maybe we'll just do some news, do some discussion things for the NFL uh, going forward. But for now uh, let's go ahead and get into our 2023 top 10 starting pitchers lists. Um, this one's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm so not confident uh, in how I've placed these players into here, that I have, I have my top ten. Then I have uh, six honorable mentions, and then I also have four not honorable mention but deserves a shout out. <laughs> um, and nice. honestly, all of these players, so all twenty of these players, <laughs> uh, could probably be littered throughout these lists um, interchangeably, uh, but. I kind of just like I looked at a stat and I was like that guy was really good at that. Let's put him here, um, and that's how I put together my list. It wasn't it wasn't calculated. There wasn't a particular thing I focused on because there's so many things to focus on for a starting pitcher. You could be an absolute numbskull and look at win loss, um, which is just an absurd <laughs> stat to base things off of. But you yeah. could look at K's per nine, and you could look at ERA, and you could look at you know, strikeout percentage and ground ball percentage and home run to fly ball ratio and expected ERA and FIP and war and, and every other fucking stat out there. Uh, but it's very hard to put together a, a, a complete list uh, that you feel confident in. So I certainly don't feel confident in this, uh, and I will take all of the negative feedback I get from it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's my preface. Who's uh, that? My last list. I'm gonna. Yeah, MLB. this is the final list for the MLB, and the next time we meet, spring training will be on the road. So, um, Luke, I'll let you start off the list with number ten. Uh, who you got? All right, I went with a really, really young guy. I took George Kirby at this spot. Um, a guy who came in with a uh, he had a three ERA above three. Um, he pitched 190 innings, though, 172 strikeouts, and a whip that was uh, 1.038, so very solid whip there. Um, he was 96th in percentile in pitching run value, 98th percentile in fastball run value, and 100th percentile in walk rate. So he is basically the Juan Soto of pitching. Uh, he is not going to walk you. Yeah, uh, it, it's just that simple. And to bounce off of that, his strikeout to walk ratio led all qualified starters in the MLB this year. So George Kirby made my number 10. And he's also second year in the league, too. Solid, solid pitcher. Yeah, I love George Kirby. And somehow he's also my number 10. Uh, no way. We actually <laughs> have the same spot. Yeah. That's uh, look, he certainly had performances that kind of pitched himself out of being an elite starting pitcher this season. But when you talk about control, 
Nobody had better control this season than George Kirby, and I will stand on that. He had a, a just barely above one whip. Um, you know, I'm kind of just regurgitating stats that Luke had, uh, but the 0.9 walks per nine is absurd. That doesn't happen. He led the MLB in that. The strikeouts to walks, like Luke said, 9.05 led the league. Um, you know, the the baseball savant page isn't astounding when you, when you look at it. You know, the 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 pitching and fastball run value is great, and, and the walk percentage, 100th percentile, but. You know, he's got a relatively low expected ERA, uh, a, a extremely bad, honestly, extremely bad expected batting average. He doesn't get guys to whiff, but he has the 84th percentile fastball velo throwing up there at like 96 with the fastball. Um, and, you know, he gives up hard hit balls. And the best thing that he's got going for him is chase rate. And that also aids his control. He's able to put balls in places where guys shouldn't be swinging and they swing, and he also makes guys not swing when they should. That's his biggest asset is just pitch placement, um, and he's fantastic at it. The problem is he just gives up the hardest hit balls in the league, dude. Like, literally, he was in the bottom 6th percentile in max, it, max exit velo because uh, he gave up a hit that was 115.6 miles per hour. Oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, but but you know, walk percentage of two point five percent, which was the top one percentile. So like, he is amazing. He just has things to work on, and he gives up contact, and it's hard contact, and a lot of times it results in runs given up, and that doesn't help him. But for a second year guy to be an all star, and you know, to be um, you know eighth in Cy Young voting. In the AL, um, it's fantastic. All right, um, yeah. Moving if on. We have the same Zach list. Wheeler. I'll shit myself. <laughs> Number nine, Zach Wheeler. Okay, uh, cool. <laughs> where, where do I want to start with him? I, I, very high WAR for being nine on my list. Four point three WAR. Um, he went thirteen and six on the year, which is decent. His ERA was above three fifty, not really where you want it to be, but. Went 192 innings, 212 strikeouts, which is a lot among my list. And once again, another whip that's barely over one. Then you look at the baseball savant page. And it is Phillies red, baby. We got 99th percentile in pitching run value and fastball run value. 93rd percentile in walk rate and 97th percentile in extension. And then the cool stat that I have for him is... um. So he is on a five-year contract with Philadelphia, and last season was his fourth year, right? During that time, he has led all pitchers in the MLB with a 19.6 war. And on top of that, he had a fantastic play run, uh, playoff run this season. So Zach Wheeler was a, was a weird one for me. Um, very, yeah. very good pitcher. Uh, I, I guess... I don't know. I, I really can't even tell you why he slipped all the way to nine on my list because every other list that I used to make my list had him much, much higher than I did. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it's just the ERA and his his stats yeah. don't jump out to me. Really. Yeah, I, I think so. to me with Zach Wheeler, and I'll get to that when I get to him my list, but this was one of the first years that he was like giving up a lot of runs. Gotcha. Um, like, you know, the past three seasons prior, so 2020, 2021, 2022, he had a sub-3 ERA. 
this season of 3.6. I think that's a big part uh, of why he was slipping down some people's lists, despite the fact that uh, he led the league in in pitching war um, or F war uh, for pitchers. Um, But my number nine uh, is a guy that maybe didn't make some lists, certainly made mine because I'm about to say his name. Uh, It's Kyle Bradish of the Baltimore Orioles. He was amazing. And nobody was talking about this man. I <laughs> to the point where there's probably some people listening to this that are like, "Who the fuck is Kyle Bradish?" Um, well, <laughs> he is also a second year pitcher, just like George Kirby. Uh, but he was—I'm going to say—he was elite. <laughs> he was elite this season. Uh, a sub three ERA is always a positive. Uh, a two point eight three ERA for Kyle Bradish this season. Um, he pitched 168.2 innings, uh, only gave up 54 earned runs. He only gave up 14 home runs this season, which isn't all that bad considering he plays his home games in Camden Yards. Uh, pitching run value, 99. And this guy is known for the breaking ball. 100th percentile oh, breaking run value. He doesn't throw hard. Mm-hmm. Max is out uh you know fastball wise at a 95 mile an hour about 94.7 on average um you know he throws uh, an 88 mile per hour slider an 85 mile per hour curve and a 91 mile per hour changeup it, it shouldn't proportionally happen if you're only throwing 95 <laughs> with the fastball that shouldn't be where you sit and it is like there's many times where he throws his changeup or his curveball or his slider just as fast as he threw the fastball, which is crazy. Um, and, and like the the thing with Kyle Bradish is that he, for the most part, doesn't do anything particularly well, other than not give up runs. And, and yeah. that's the name of the game. That's your job. <laughs> um, yeah. That's what keeps you employed in this league. And Kyle Bradish did a great job. Um, one of the highest left-on-base percentages of the starting pitchers on my list, actually third highest um, at seventy-one or 79.1. So he was letting guys on base, but they weren't scoring. And that was a huge part of why he played so well. He also gives up a lot of ground ball contact. He had the second highest ground ball percentage on my list as well. I loved what I saw from Kyle Bradish. He was a big part of why Baltimore was able to go out and win 100 games. And, um, yeah, he was fantastic. He certainly got overlooked this season, uh, but he made my list at number nine. Yeah. um, I don't understand how you can throw your off speeds just as fast as you can throw your fastballs. Like, what what are you not doing with your fastball? (laughs) Like, how? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm going to get into my number eight, and I went with the Atlanta Brave, Mr. Spencer Strider himself. Um, That's low. That and is I know low. It, wow. Well, 3.86 ERA. We'll talk about it. And uh, Later. Yeah. <laughs> much, much <laughs> later. later. <laughs> so um, a whip that was so far the highest on my list of the guys that I've said. Um, really, the, the eye-catching stat is the 281 strikeouts is that's just flat out dominant um 
then you look at his baseball savant page and it's probably the best on my list uh he's above 90th percentile in breaking run value expected era expecting bat expected batting average fastball velo duh chase rate whiff rate k rate and extension he had 11 starts grayson with double digit strikeouts i watched him incredible <laughs> He just, he fell so far on my list because, I mean, he's the highest CRA on my list by yeah. about point twenty. Um, so I, I think maybe his aggressiveness is what made him end up on this list. But I, I, that's not to say that he can't be or isn't one of the more dominant yeah. players on my list. When he's having a good game, he's top three. Yeah, Spencer Strider might be one of the few players that I actually talk about win-loss percentage with because... He had a horrible and ERA, and he was the only guy with 20 wins, uh, and he also had the highest win-loss percentage at 800. Like, that's extremely yeah. surprising. He had three more yes. pitching wins than anybody in the MLB. That's crazy, considering he was giving up the runs, and obviously a lot of that aids to run support, but also a lot of it comes from the, you know, five straight great starts one horrendous start that we'd see from him quite a lot. He'd go weeks, a month, like a month, and he would pitch lights out and strike everybody out, and then he'd just have one game where he just exploded, and it's typically second time through the order, um, and you know the breaking ball is not breaking or whatever. Obviously, the fastball is always fast, but uh, the breaking ball isn't breaking that day, and and they just have an eye on the slider second time through the order, and they score like six runs. But you want to rely on him because he is that good, and he can go deep into a baseball game despite the fact that he pumps 100 miles an hour, and he can also throw one of the best sliders in the league, which certainly gets underrated. But... Yep. um. Yeah, he's, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, quite a few minutes before I talk about Spencer Strider in depth. So um, <laughs> I'll get into Justin Steele at number eight uh, for the Cubs. I think he was fantastic. Once again, this is just a run-limiting guy. Uh, for most of the season, he led the league in ERA. End of the season, he kind of slipped up a little bit. But this was a guy nobody was talking about prior to 2023, and um, he was great. Uh, he brought his whip down by so much across his career. Um, he brought it down to a 1.17, whereas in 2021 and 22, he was at a 1.35, 93rd percentile pitching run value, 95th percentile fastball run value, walk percentage, 93rd percentile. That's a big thing for me is walks. If you don't walk, you're a fantastic starting pitcher. Um, and that's a big thing. Uh my issue with him was the pitch mix. He's a starting pitcher that was gen like consistently going deep into games, and he was throwing 64% fastball, 34% slider, and 1% changeups. And that's it. <laughs> that is not good for a starting pitcher. Uh, 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 yeah. Honestly, a two-pitch mix, essentially, for a starting pitcher is simply bad. He has really bad extension. Uh, and I know he's a starting pitcher, so it's a little bit different to look at extension. But he has really bad extension considering fastball velo in the 17th percentile, uh, his average miles per hour on the fastball, 92. He's all about finesse. You know, he, he takes from his teammate Kyle Hendricks uh, in that, you know, matter. But 
Look, I, I think Justin Steele's fantastic. Could he have been better this season? Definitely. Does he play his role and does he play to his abilities to the best he can? I think so. I think this is simply as good as Justin Steele can get with what he has. And it's a top 10 pitcher. It's just not elite. Yeah, he was the guy that made my honorable mentions list. Um, a pitcher that I really like, though. I'm a big fan of Justin Steele. Yeah. That pitch mix is bizarre, though. That's something it that is. you'd only see like from a closer. Throwing yeah. like three. It's ridiculous. Um, my number seven was Kyle Bradish. I had him a little bit higher than what nice. you did. 4.9 war, which is insane. Um, sub three ERA. Perfect there. Uh, 168.2 innings pitch. I would like to see more here, especially 168 uh, strikeouts as well. I would also like to see more there. But, you know, like kind of like what you said, if you're giving up a sub-3 ERA, you are a very, very good pitcher in the league. A whip just barely over one, kind of like the other guys. And then I kind of wanted to dive into um, sort of the mechanics of Kyle Bradish a little bit. So his velocity and his slider went up from like an 87 to an 81. And he also had a much higher spin rate by like 200 in that slider, I think is what it was. Um, He's throwing the fastball less. He's using more of a sinker. And then to go to the baseball savant page, 99th percentile in pitching run value, 100th percentile in breaking run value, which I think is what you said as well. And, you know, it's just cool to see that. um, And you also mentioned that he was in his second year as well last season. His rookie year was trash. And he made some drastic changes, kind of like with what I just went over. And he ended up seven, seventh on uh, second and shorts uh, list by Luke. So that's a pretty good accolade for Kyle Bradish, I'd say. Yeah, he was great. Uh, Fantastic. My number seven, I, I think this is the proper placement for this guy. Um, I was super high on him going into the season. And for most of the season, he played to my expectations. Just some guys outplayed him. Uh, that's Zach Gallon. Um, mm. I. To me, he was definitely, like, far too prone to just give up runners uh, and rely on his infield a lot. He was giving up contact a lot, um, which, you know, isn't surprising considering a a chase rate at 65%, or sorry, in the 65th percentile, whiff rate in the 52nd percentile. Um, He could definitely still strike guys out. But only a K percentage of seventy uh, in the seventy first percentile, but doesn't walk. Eighty eighth percentile walk percentage, pitching run value, ninety seventh percentile, fastball run value, ninety eighth percentile, off speed run value, ninety third percentile. And the biggest thing for him is he doesn't give up hard hits. And considering the park that he plays in, that's huge because those corners are short, center is deep. If you're giving up hard hit balls, you're gonna give up home runs or you're gonna give up like triples. Um, he had a fifth percentile, uh, for, uh, or for hard hits, uh, average exit velo, uh, 91 and a half. Like he, he just was good. Uh, I don't really know what else to say. Like, yes, he did give up a decent amount of hard hit balls, but he was able to limit it a little bit, at least for some of the season. He did start to give up some, some hard hit balls. Um, and the biggest problem was the launch angle. He was giving up hits pretty high launch angle of 12 um which is not very good um but to me it was just the effectiveness in in the way that he pitched in obviously later in the season he starts giving up earned runs he ended up giving up 
81 earned runs this season, which is crazy uh, considering his next highest in a season uh, was 58 earned runs in, in a year. Um, and like last season, he had 31 starts instead of 34, and he only gave up 52 earned runs. Um, yeah, this season it was just he, he was giving up a lot of hits, 8.1 hits per nine, uh, but he was striking guys out. And, and like it, it was like everything he did well, he also did bad in something to trade it off, but he was still an elite pitcher. He still won 17 games, but he lost nine. Like he, he had, you know, a complete game shutout this season. He pitched 210 innings, which is absurd. But he still wasn't amazing at a lot of things. Um, and the 3.47 ERA kind of helps tell that and kind of writes that narrative for him. Um, like, he did a lot of things really well, but he also does a lot of things poorly, and I think that really hurt. Like, he had the o- he was the only player on my list with an expected ERA over four. That's a problem. Mm. That's a problem when, when you're expected to give up four runs every time you take them out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Zach Gallen slid down my list a little bit just because of that issue where it seems like, you know, he does well at this, but he does bad at that, and it, it just kind of pulled him more towards the middle, so he comes in at seven. Yeah, I um, the, he was a guy that I had higher, but I don't mind at all him at seven with the points that you made. Yeah. Um, because I mean, you know, like kind of like with me as well. This this list was just go anyway. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. it really could. Um, all right, I'm gonna get into my number six now. This is one of my favorite pitchers in the league, and I'm excited to talk about him. But it's Kodai Senga, um, another sub three ERA uh, pitcher, uh, 166 innings pitched. I'd like to see that better. But just kind of comparing like Kyle Bradish and Kodai Senga, very similar ERAs and very similar innings pitched. But Kodai has like 30, over 30 more strikeouts than Kyle Bradish does at 202 and only 166 innings pitch. I think that's incredibly impressive. Um, to kind of put that into perspective, Zach Gallen is at 210 with 220 or two, yeah, 220 strikeouts. Kodai is 50 innings less than him and has 18 strikeouts less. So. Really, really enjoy that stat from Kodai. And then the second half of the season was just unbelievable. Uh, 2.44 ERA, uh, 101 strikeouts, and 84.2 innings pitched. He was 99th percentile in pitching run value and fastball run value, 98th percentile in off-speed run value. So he's just got it all going for him, and I wish he was in the MLB longer. Yeah, I really like Kodai Senga. Somehow he didn't make my list. I don't know what it was that pulled him off um because i remember looking at his stats and be like he had a great year but i don't quite remember what it was that pulled him off uh he's certainly an honorable mention of mine uh but um i do like that pick because he definitely exceeded what i expected from him um you know coming into the league uh my number six is uh zach wheeler um he gets up on the list because he does a lot of things so well you know, I know he gave up the runs, but like, <laughs> you gotta, you know, commend a guy for going deep into baseball games is a big part of Zach Wheeler and this allure of him. 
like somehow he didn't have a single complete game this season, which is very, you know, weird considering in 2021, um, he had three, um, but he hasn't had one in the last two years. And last year he was injured a little bit. But 32 starts, 192 innings pitched is great. Uh, 212 strikeouts. Honestly, I expected more strikeouts from him. Um, maybe unfair <laughs> to say, but he has strikeout stuff for sure. Um, but uh, a big thing for me is that uh, he does something similar to what I talked about a lot with relievers uh, in your You'll probably kind of catch on to this pretty quickly. He doesn't throw the hardest. Uh, but as a starting pitcher, to have an extension in the 97th percentile is surprising, to say the least. Starting pitchers don't typically extend down the mound that much because it puts a lot of strain on your lower body to to move that far. And you got to stay out there for so long. Zach Wheeler can throw complete games and also step seven and a half feet down the mound. I like that you explained that for me because when you mentioned earlier that extension is something only closers would do, I thought, why would that not be something that every pitcher would want to yeah, do? Yeah, and some some pitchers do and some pitchers don't, and it's kind of all up to you know how you throw, how hard you feel you need to throw. Zach Wheeler knows that he, he can't hit 100, but he can get real fucking close to you and throw 96. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and he's got elite stuff. Um, you know, it, it, the run value doesn't translate for his breaking ball and his off speed, but the the biggest thing for him is that his fastball is so good that it sets up the other pitches to be successful. Uh, but the fastball typically tends to be a strikeout pitch. Um, he doesn't walk anybody. Once again, that's kind of a trend with my guys. They don't walk. Ninety um, third percentile for him. Expected ERA eightieth percentile. Um, you know, we already talked about Zach Wheeler a little bit, so I'm not too worried about continuing. Uh, but also plays the best defense, Gold Glover, um, on the mm. on the mound. So I, I can always appreciate that. Oh yeah. Um, all right. I'm I'm gonna get into my number five. Uh, Zach Gallon is who I took at number five, and you you kind of went over it. Uh, 210 pitches is or 210 innings pitched is very impressive. 220 strikeouts is also very impressive. Um, did give up a lot of runs though, like you mentioned, but. Here's what kind of sets me apart, and th- this is going to be a very short one right here. I don't have much for Zach Wheeler. He had career highs in starts, wins, strikeouts, and innings pitched, all in one year for him. And also, that Diamondback team was so, so dangerous, you know, once it got to the postseason for the first time in a long time, and he was kind of the ace of that, you know? Um, so I-, I think more more what he was able to accomplish, not necessarily his on-field play, but more just how big of a season it was for him. I feel like he's taking steps in the uh, in the right direction. So he was my number five, um, 97th percentile in pitching run value, 98th percentile in fastball run value, 93rd percentile in off-speed run value. So once again, you have a pitcher that's um, maybe doesn't mix pitch as well as far as like he'll lean to the fastball more, but his off-speed pitches are really good just like his fastball. He doesn't only throw one pitch well. He just might throw that one pitch more often than the others. And yeah. that is why I took Zach Gallon at number five. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. Obviously, I put him a little bit lower, but not too much discrepancy between our two rankings. Um, my next guy, though, at number five is Kevin Gosman. 
Uh, I love Kevin Gosman. He wow. was fantastic. He is a strikeout guy, second in the league in strikeouts, um, behind Spencer Strider, I believe, second or third, maybe. Um, I, I got to pull this up now. Yeah, second, uh, with two thirty-seven. Um, in and I just I love his stuff. He's one of the few starting pitchers that has a three-pitch mix that's kind of more like a two-pitch mix. Um. That I still, but I like what he does with it. The fastball is great. He doesn't throw it that hard, and he doesn't come down the mound that far. But somehow it's effective. Somehow he has a fastball run value in the 95th percentile, despite the fact that he throws the fastball 94.7 miles per hour on average, and he still has an 87th percentile chase rate, and he still has a 93rd percentile strikeout rate. Well. It's it's astounding what he can do considering he really he throws the fastball fifty percent of the time he throws the changeup thirty eight percent of the time that's the thing this is a uh, he uses the changeup more as a mask so the fastball is effective already the changeup looks like the fastball until it's not and it's a little too late to figure <laughs> it out um, yeah. So I, I love what Kevin Gosman does he was abysmal as a brave and I hated him. Uh, when he was here, uh, but he has really turned things around uh, since that second year in uh, San Fran, and uh, I, I love what he's done. He was third in the NL, or sorry, the AL Cy Young voting this year, um, despite the fact that maybe he didn't have the best year, but he led the AL in strikeouts per nine, and uh, he led the AL in strikeouts, and obviously was second in the league uh, in strikeouts, and also a two point nine seven FIP is great uh, to have a FIP under three. That means your pitching and your your uh, your infield doesn't have to deal with it. So, I like Kevin Gosman there at uh, at five. Mm, that was the guy that I left off entirely. Wow. Yeah, Third I um, in the AL Cy Young voting, he's off the list. I I kept moving him down my list when I was yeah. thinking of him. He I didn't forget about him. I definitely p- passed his name a couple times, and I forget I forget what it was. Kind of like with you and Kodai, I forget what it was that actually made me decide to leave him yeah. off. But a, a lot of times, 200... like when I was making this list, dude, I'd see something. I'd see something. I'd be like, "Oh, I like that stat. I should move this guy up because he's better than this yeah. guy at it." <laughs> exactly, but like that guy could have exactly. probably had a better ERA, more strikeouts, given up zero <laughs> home runs yeah. this season, and I still would have been like, "I, I kind of like him." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of what I did as well. Um, now number four um, is kind of where you get into like the meat and potatoes of yep. my of my list. These mm-hmm. are absolute studs. Number four, I went with Sonny Gray, um, a five point three war, your five point three war, which is the highest um, uh, of war, the highest war I have on my list so far. Sorry, it, it's it's been a long week. Um, like Grayson said before, you're a numbskull if you look at win-loss and don't look at Sonny Gray's because he was 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah. But a 2.7, uh, 2.79 ERA, 184 innings pitched, and 183 strikeouts. So the 184 innings pitched and the strikeouts isn't really too crazy, but the fact that he was able to have one of the best seasons of his career at 34 years old, having a 99th percentile in pitching run value and breaking run value – and 96 percentile in fastball run value is just amazing. And Sonny Gray really got overlooked by by myself, honestly, this season. He was um, one bright spot on that twin squad. Yeah, yeah, I I loved Sonny Gray. Um, 
He's actually a little bit higher on my list. Uh, but number four for me is Spencer Strider. Uh, this is where he comes in. I know he gave up a lot of runs, but it's everything else. It's the fact that he led the National League in FIP. That was the biggest driving force for me to put Spencer Strider up the list was that when he pitched, it was just about the fact it was him versus a batter. That's the way he pitches, and that's the way that it always results. He had a 2.85 FIP this season and uh, a strikeouts per nine of 13.5, <laughs> which is <Damn>. ridiculous. Uh <laughs> Obviously, we talked about he led the league in wins. He led the league in strikeouts and such. Uh, the baseball reference page is crazy. Um, you know, the things that knock him down, obviously, he gives up runs. Uh, you know, last season, didn't give up a lot of runs. This season, pitched a lot more innings. Um, but, it, it, you know, and he had kind of a few starts that were pretty shaky that really shook things up for him. The biggest thing is that, fucking chucks a baseball he averages 97.2 at uh velo on the fastball he can hit like 101 uh with it and he has crazy extension uh as well so you don't typically see that combination you don't typically see a guy that's going to be tapping 100 a lot also get down the mound seven and uh, 7.1 feet but he also throws the best slider in the league. I'm, I'm convinced. I think people forget the fact that Spencer Strider has uh, one of the most filthy breaking balls in the league because he throws 100. <laughs> and he strikes yeah, everybody yeah. out. But when you watch him, he uses that slider so well. And a big part of that aids to the fact that his chase rate, a 95th percentile chase rate, his whiff rate, the 98th percentile, and then his strikeout rate, the 99th percentile. It doesn't get better than this when it talk when you're talking about independently how a pitcher pitches in baseball. He's throwing straight at a batter. He's doing it how he needs it to be done, and it has made him elite. He's played, honestly, really two seasons. His first season he pitched in two games in 2021, um, both of them in relief. And last year he even played 11 games as a reliever before they moved him to a starting spot. This year was the first year where he was a bona fide starter from day one to the final, and he was amazing. I, I know he gave up some runs, and that certainly knocks him down a lot of people's lists, and I don't blame them for that, including you. Um, but I think when you look at the upside, the fact that he was fourth in Cy Young voting in the National League, the fact that he was an all-star, and, you know, just these ridiculous feats that he has, you know, overcome, I not overcome, achieved uh, is the word I'm looking for. Um, in this season, in this past season, put him way up the list. Also, doesn't walk people. Forgot to bring that part up. Yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely a dominant pitcher. One of my favorite ones to watch, uh, yeah. for sure, is Spencer Strider. Um, at number three, I went with Logan Webb. He had a 5.5 war. Don't look at the win-loss. Uh, and honestly, an ERA 3.25 uh, is not the best. But then, 216 innings pitched. That's a pretty good, decent amount. 194 strikeouts. What was 216 the most? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's pretty decent amount still. <laughs> uh, 194 strikeouts and a whip. Once again, just barely over one. Uh, oh, yeah, I actually have it right here. Led all MLB in innings pitch. Listen, I made this list on Monday. I, I haven't looked at Logan's web name in a long time. Um, 
led all qualified starters with a 62.1 ground ball rate. That was 99th percentile. 99th percentile in walk rate, 91st percentile in extension, 98th percentile in pitching run value. Logan Webb was just a very hard pitcher to get hits off this uh, this season in the league. Yeah, I think he had a, a game where he took a no-hitter all the way into the ninth, uh, maybe twice, actually. Um, he was great. Yeah. Somehow I didn't put him on my list, and I couldn't tell you why. I genuinely oh, wow. couldn't. Um, he, he's literally the first name on my honorable mentions. I, there, I think there... I watched a lot of Logan Webb because he plays on the West Coast. It was typically like, everybody else's games are over. I'll turn on the Giants. I watched a decent amount of Logan Webb pitch, and for some reason, there's nothing I find watching him and looking at his stats that is just extraordinary, other than the fact that he pitches deep into games just about every time. But a lot of times, he was going deep into games, and he already gave up three runs. That's what hurts him a lot. The fact that he was consistently going out there, giving up runs, losing games because he didn't get any run support, obviously. But, um, yeah, to me, it just seemed like Logan Webb doesn't excel in enough things to put him ahead of a lot of these guys because, like, you know, I kind of start off my list with guys that are just excellent at not allowing batters to get on the on, on the base paths. And then I kind of go through this four-person stretch of guys that are just elite at getting guys out and striking guys out for sure. Um, So my top three, I kind of reserved for these guys that literally just did everything right this season. Um, (laughs) And somehow Logan Webb just didn't find his way into the list, but um, that was your number three, correct? Yep. Okay. So my number three is um, the NL Cy Young, Blake Snell. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had Sonny Gray over Blake Snell? Yeah, I did. Um, oh, my. Okay. Sorry. I'll let you get into I'll, it. I'll talk wow. about it. So I think we need to take into account the fact that there's a lot of things Blake Snell does that are really bad. Uh, and the fact that he started off this season fucking horrible. Um, yeah, you Darvish was the number one on this team until after the All-Star break. Significantly after the All-Star break, honestly. Um. Uh, first of all, walks. Walks are the biggest problem for me with Blake Snell. He just walks a lot. Walks per nine, the second highest, highest of his career. It was the highest since his rookie season uh, where he only pitched 19 games. He was walking five guys per nine. That is wow. horrible. Um, And the, the biggest thing for Blake Snell that obviously plays in his favor is pitching, uh, you know, pitching run value. He was great, obviously. Um, and the ERA, the ERA is obviously the thing to talk about. The two point two five. Um, thing is, is if you can, if you lead the league in ERA by that much, you should at least be close to having the best FIP. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't. Um, the best FIP I. Why am I not seeing this list? I literally had the list ready. Okay, here we go. Uh, the best FIP, uh, Mr. Uh, Blake Snell, not in the top 10. Uh, instead, guys like Spencer Strider and Kevin Gosman and, and Justin Steele, Zach Wheeler, Logan Webb, Zach Gallon, Kyle Bradish. Those are the only guys, only guys that we've named. 
thus far. I don't want to say anybody else. Um, all of them are ahead of him because the Padres had a stellar infield last season, in case anybody forgot. Jake Cronenworth, Manny Machado, Ha Young Kim, Xander Bogarts. That more four. Out of that? <laughs> they played ridiculous defense all season. That was a big yeah. part of why Blake Snell pitched well. He gets ground balls, and his infield is just a vacuum. Um, and that was a huge part of his success. He walked 99 batters this season. That's insanely high. He's never had a season where he walked more than 69 before this year. And he walked wow. 99 batters. What the fuck happened to him this year? And yeah, now he's a two-time Cy Young winner. And the ERA was <laughs> yeah. the driving force of it. But it's not even his best ERA season. This wasn't even his best season of his career. Because when he won that Cy Young in 2018, good God, was he insane. He was winning games. He didn't have a fantastic team around him, but he was still good. He had a sub-3 FIP, a 2.17 ERA+, plus, a 1.89 ERA in 31 starts. What? Yeah. He had a oh statistically a, a top pitching season ever. This season simply wasn't that good, but it was all blinded by that second half. And so that's why he drops down to three, which if you want to be a look top three pitcher in the MLB, ain't a bad place to be. <laughs> that is very true. But there's also a reason why there's teams that aren't paying him right now, and he's a free agent as a Cy Young. Yeah. And a lot of that has to go to the fact that maybe he's not going to be effective if he doesn't have this fantastic defense behind him, if he doesn't have this you know amazing pitching staff to follow him up and everything. So that that's uh, that's a big part of Blake Snell dropping on my list. But obviously he was amazing. Yeah. Um, well, all right. I'm I'm going to just go ahead and get into it. I I like the points that you made. You were, you were very uh, intuitive there with Blake Snell, but I had him at my number two. Um, Look, I mean, he was second in war, first in ERA, and third in strikeouts. Um, 180 pitches, uh, 234 strikeouts. His whip is pretty bad among my list, I will say that. Um, he has a, I think he has the highest whip on my entire list. Uh, but 100 percentile in pitching run value and breaking run value, 99th percentile in off-speed run value, 98th percentile in whiff rate, and 94th percentile in K rate. So... The only argument that I have for Blake Snell is personally with with what I have just presented. I feel like all of the bad that he did is canceled out by the stats that he was able to finish with second half of the season. But kind of, yes. I'll be the first to tell. What'd you say? I said kind of. Yeah. Like I think yeah. you can outweigh a lot of the things that he did with some of his stats. But I think the ones that he struggles at are ones that if you're a top one two pitcher in the league that shouldn't be the case okay yeah that's fair but he i mean he's still very good though so like yeah um and and with that being said you know i i totally understand why a team wouldn't necessarily want to pay him because it 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 is very awkward in, in the stats that he's really bad at uh like you mentioned but he does a lot of things really really well so he made my number two all right my number two, Sonny Gray. Um, I loved what Sonny Gray did this year, and um, he's simply just a model of consistency. 
Uh, that's like the biggest thing. You know, I talked about kind of earlier how I broke down my list. It was guys that can't, that, that don't let people on base, guys that strike people out and just get people off the base paths and whatever. And then the top guys are the guys that do everything well. Sonny Gray isn't amazing at anything, but he's great at everything. Yeah. And not a lot of guys can claim that. 99th percentile pitching run value, 96th percentile fastball run value, 99th percentile breaking run value. If you go to his baseball savant, you look at the pitching. The highest percentile of any of his stats is 77th, and it's ground ball rate. Yet, he had a 2.79 ERA in 32 starts. His team went to the playoffs um, because they won their division, and he was the ace for this team. Also, this one's crazy. Uh he throws like six pitches, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which makes no sense. Um, like he throws a four seam, he throws a sweeper, he throws a curveball, he throws a sinker. Like if you go look at the Statcast pitch arsenal, he he really has seven pitches because he threw three what they call slow curves, which I'm not I'm not factoring in. I'm calling it six pitches. Um, four seamer twenty seven point two percent of the time is the highest percentage. He his pitch mix. mix, his pitch mix is elite, and he doesn't rely on anything. He literally doesn't rely on a single one of those pitches. It's crazy. Yeah, like if you go, you can go to the breakdown. You can see, you know, how many times he threw a pitch, how many times he got. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to see if you can, yeah, put away percentage uh, for these pitches, and you know, 27 percent of the time the sweeper was the put away pitch. 19.5% of the time, the put-away pitch was the curveball. The cutter, 27%. Like, it's this amazing plethora of pitches that he throws at such a high level that it makes it ridiculous. And it's it's also success. I know 8-8 eight and eight is not successful. 2.79 ERA is successful. A 1.1 whip is successful. He doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, but he pitched a lot of innings. 184 innings pitched. And he had 183 strikeouts. He led the league in FIP. FIP is the biggest stat of mine when it comes to a starting pitcher. He led the league 2.83. And I'm going to be honest, with the Twins, he doesn't have the best defensive infield either. No. So he had to pitch like that to be successful. And he did. He rose to the occasion, and he was fantastic. He came in second in the AL (laughs) for Cy Young. And it's for obvious reasons because we're yet to name... The guy that came in first. Yeah, what a segue. I love how you did that right yeah. there. That was that was cool how you maneuvered that because uh, I took uh, Marcus Stroman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Garrett Cole, 7.4. Oh, man. First in the MLB, 15-4 and win-loss. That's also pretty decent. 2.63 ERA. None of that phony 2.25 uh, from Blake Snell, uh, which is a joke, by the way. Uh, 209 innings pitched. 222 strikeouts and my first whip sub one up the mic. Um, this guy was crazy. He was the only he, whip sub one crazy. this season. I guess the only whip sub one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tied for first in quality starts. He was fifth among uh, fifth in strikeouts among the entire MLB because there was a tie at third place. He was third in innings pitched, 
second in ERA, and 100th percentile in pitching run value and fastball run value. He yeah. has one of the best fastballs from any starting pitcher in the MLB. And Garrett Cole, I, I remember, you know, a couple seasons ago, I was calling him a pussy. I, I did not <laughs> like him in pinstripes at all. Now, you know, this season, he by far the best player on our team. With Aaron Judge being hurt, Garrett Cole was the guy. And throughout the struggles of injury and people just, you know, Yankees fans being harsh on the team, there was one consistent factor there, and that guy was Garrett Cole. And guess what, Grayson? He got his first Cy Young of his entire career last year. Yeah, and, which and is Stripes, so surprising. I could be more proud of him. <laughs> yeah, I love Garrett Cole. Yeah. Uh, once again, when you look at Der- uh, Garrett Cole's stats, um, it follows the same ideal that I've had throughout this, which is the best pitchers are great at everything. And they're bad at nothing. Sonny Gray was bad at nothing last year, other than, I guess, winning games, which the Twins were just good enough at, I guess, in their division, uh, but bad at yeah. in general. Um, Garrett Cole division. was great at everything. And and it goes to show, like, it's insane. Once again, obviously it's a little more impressive numbers than what we saw from Sonny Gray, but nothing is horrible. Yeah, he doesn't give up a lot of ground balls. He doesn't have a great whiff percentage. But, like, nothing is the best. And that goes to show that it's, once again, consistency. A guy can go out there and do the same thing to to the same player and a different player every single time, the same way he'd like to, and he just has his way of going out there and pitching a great game over and over and over again, and that's how you win Cy Youngs. That's how you become the best player in the MLB, and that's how you lead the league, or at least lead the American League, in win-loss percentage, ERA, games started, uh, complete game shutouts, innings pitched, ERA plus, whip, hits per nine. That's way too many stats to be leading in for anything. So yeah. yeah, Garrett Cole was ridiculous, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad he's here, honestly, because it's been a yeah. long time coming for him to be the Cy Young winner. Well said. All right, well I'm said. I'm going to start my honorable mentions. I have so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot about the honorable mentions. Yeah, okay. Uh, Logan Webb. We already kind of talked about him. Zach Eflin. So close to making the list. He was amazing for the Rays. Um, so shout out Zach Eflin because he was so bad before he got to Tampa. Uh, Pablo Lopez was fantastic. Um, oh my God, two hundred and thirty-four strikeouts. Yeah, Pablo Lopez was great. Kodai Senga, of course, we kind of talked about him. Framber Valdez, great year. Uh, Corbin Burns got a little bit looked over mainly because he didn't play as many games. Um, now he's going to be in the on the Orioles. Uh, Luis Castillo was also fantastic. Um, he had some, you know, giving up run issues, uh, some some late season performances that weren't the best. Um, so that's my honorable mentions. Then I have the not honorable mention but deserves a shout-out list, which is Jordan Montgomery. Um, his regular season was yep. weird because he got traded, um, but it ended up being great, and he won a World Series. So you got to get a shout-out for that. Uh, Tanner Bibby uh, was ridiculous as a rookie. He was amazing. Um Genuinely stats that you don't see a lot 
uh, out of a rookie or even just a young pitcher in general. Um, but he got overshadowed because he plays for the Guardians and nobody watches a Guardians game. Um, Clayton Kershaw for having a sub three ERA at like 500 years old. Um, <laughs> he's yeah. insane. And then Shohei Otani for having such good numbers and also hitting a lot of home runs and being one of the best hitters in the league. Um, and he also won AL MVP. Uh, so it's pretty hard when he, honestly, if anybody else would have won AL MVP and had one innings pitched, they would have made this list. Shohei gets a little more respect because he actually started quite a few games. That's fair. Um, and then I, I guess I can get into my honorable mention. So uh, Jordan Montgomery also made my list. He actually finished the season with a 4.1 war, which um, if I was going off of war entirely, he probably would have made my top 10. Um, after his trade to the Texans, he just only got better. Uh, sub three ERA at a 2.79 and a uh, almost a 1.1 whip and a great playoff run. Um, Merrill Kelly, I don't have any stats. Just he's underrated. Yeah, I mean, I just agree. a fantastic, solid season all all around for Merrill Kelly. Um, and then Framer Valdez also made my list. Um, two hundred strikeout season for him, and also two complete game shutouts. Shout out Framer Valdez there. Yeah. Um, I think one. Of, did Justin he throw a no hitter? I think so. Pretty sure he threw a no hitter. Maybe a combined no. I think so. Uh, I think it was in the summer. Yeah, when he did I think that. So. Um, Justin Steele made my list. Uh, he was phenomenal as well. And then Kev- Kevin Gosman made my list. All right. Uh, yep. well, let's go ahead and uh, that took a lot longer than I anticipated. Let's go ahead and get into the Premier League. Um, pretty bad weekend. <laughs> I'll say. It. Yeah, we'll start with that. It's a bad weekend of matches. Uh, this would have probably been a great week for us to just do a table um, update, considering, you know, we're 24 games in. I mean, so there's 14 games to go. Uh, so that probably would have been a good decision, but <laughs> we don't make good decisions around here. Um, Hell no. <laughs> so uh, instead, we're going to talk about Fulham versus Aston Villa first. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better idea. Uh, yeah, way better than making good decisions. Uh Decide to Fulham do that. Shift. Look, Fulham, Fulham haven't lost in three games. I, exactly, and that's why I've included them on this list of matches. Um, they're not in a bad spot. They're in twelfth right now, um, and they certainly have the ability to move up. A win here and a, a loss for Wolves, uh, which we'll talk about Wolves next. Um, a win for Fulham, a loss for Wolves. All of a sudden, they find themselves in eleventh. You know, they're only five points back of Chelsea, six points back of Brighton. And um, honestly, look, there's seven points at the moment out of seventh place. Um, And a lot of moving can happen. There's 14 games to go. Like, you've got the potential to go out and get, what, uh, how many points would there be left? You got 14 times three. That's 42 points that you could gain. Right? Yeah. Or am I dumb? No, 46. 46. What? No. Hold on. Do I not know simple math? 14. No, it's got to be 40. Simple, it's 42. Dude. It's 42. All right, 42, 42, 42. Yeah, it's 42. 42. Jesus. I can't add 30 and 12? 
right. Um, whatever. Uh, what I was saying, Fulham has a chance to actually move up the table. Will they? No. Fuck no. <laughs> uh, but they have. They do play Aston Villa, who is in a position where they kind of need points if they want to stay in the race. Uh, oh, Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, all sitting in really good spots. They're all over 50 uh, Man City and Arsenal at 52 points, Liverpool at 54 points. They all are kind of separating themselves with, with Tottenham kind of falling behind at times and Aston Villa falling behind at times. Aston Villa needs a win here. They're coming off two straight losses in their last two matches. One of them, a brutal home loss to Manchester United. Shouldn't have lost yeah. that game. They should have gone out there and won that game against Manchester United. They didn't. Now they're going to have to play a Fulham team at Craven Cottage, which is a hard place to play. And they have to go out there and win because these are essential points at this point in the season. Yeah. um, And their loss before that was another brutal home loss to Chelsea uh, in the FA Cup as well. So, you know, just had to throw in, um, hey, everybody, my team won. Uh, But that was enough of that. It only Um, happens so often. It really only happens so often, but uh, now to talk about the Premier League game, their last fixture against Manchester United, I was actually able to watch. Um, as the 5.9 rating would say, Ollie Watkins is just has just been ineffective. Um, yeah. He's been good in the past, but here recently, you know, they have not been getting goals from him like they need to be. Um, and on the other side, Manchester United just looked all around better um, than Aston Villa did. And, of course, Rasmus Hoylund got that header goal kind of uh, late in the game as well. And Aston Villa really had no sign. Well, they had a couple chances at the end of the game, but um, they just, you know, didn't take them. Yeah. Uh, and then going to the other side, you know, Fulham, like I said, they haven't won in their last uh, – or, no, they've won their last – haven't lost is the word yes. I'm looking for in their last three. They're two draws unbeaten. and then they're unbeaten. Uh, two draws, and then they're coming off of a 3-1 win over yeah. Bournemouth where, um, I, I mean, it looks like they just kind of dominated. I, I didn't really watch this game. Uh, two goals from Rodrigo Munez. So I'm going to go ahead and give a score prediction here because the baseball top 10 took uh, <laughs> a, a, a little bit of time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> So I'm going to go 2-1 Fulham. I'm going to ride the hot hand. Okay, yeah, I I think Fulham is in a fantastic position right now. I like a lot of the players they have. I I like how they have played as well. Uh, But for Aston Villa, it's just a matter of I I trust these guys. And obviously some of the the injuries are are pretty bad. Uh, You know, Buendia, Konza, Duran, Tyrone Mings, you know, Kamara. Like these, these are guys that you want back in the squad. Uh, But I trust the guys that are there. Uh, I just don't trust them to win. Uh, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw between these two teams. I, I trust the That's defensive prowess of Aston Villa to at least keep them there. Um, let's get into our, our next game, though, Spurs versus Wolves. Uh, kind of a similar matchup uh, when it comes to what might happen here. Um, they play uh, on Saturday, same time, uh, 10 a.m., and uh, it's going to be interesting. Tottenham sits in fourth. Wolves sit in 11th. This is literally the same amount of separation uh, between Fulham and Aston Villa. Uh, but Tottenham, I, I cannot, like, I can't quite put my finger on it with Tottenham. Are they good? Are they average? Are they great? 
Are they bad? Like, <laughs> I can't figure it out. I think it all relies on is Huangman Son in the lineup and how is he doing? Yeah. Yeah, fair. Um, oh, my God. You know, I just the, got the thing sorry, with- I'm sorry. The most amazing breaking news just happened. Rob Manfred will step down when his contract ends in 2029, which does mean still five years of torture, uh, but that means he'll be gone, which is amazing. Good. This is a yeah. this is a big day. Big day. Wow. So excited. Wow. That totally changed my mood. All right. Yeah. If Huangman Sun <laughs> plays well, Tottenham plays well. Um, if Huangman Sun isn't in the lineup, I have much less confidence. I'll say that because they still have had wins, you know, since James Madison's come back, you've seen some performances from Richarlison. Um, but when Huangman Son is in the lineup, it's, it's much different and they proved it against Brighton, uh, last week that it's much different. Um, when you have goal scorers playing, obviously they didn't have Huangman Son fully back, but he subbed in and got an assist, uh, you know, that, that won them the game. So it's a big deal uh, to have Huang Minson back on the team, uh, you know, back from Asia Cup. I think they're going to take this one. I don't trust the strength of Wolves. Uh, so my score prediction is 2-0 for Tottenham. I like that. Um, to, to talk about Tottenham briefly, we saw them hit that really bad skid that kind of went from beginning of November to um, sort of the beginning of December this year. Really, ever since then, they have been able to kind of find themselves a little bit more consistency. It's not the same as it was before uh, the loss to Chelsea, where they were undefeated and looked like they were unstoppable. But um, it's still better, and it's only going to get better as Hyungman's son works his way back into the lineup. Um, They haven't lost in their last three. Uh, You got a win over Brentford, a 3-2 win over Brentford, then a 2-2 draw with Everton, which is... We, we can talk about that one a little bit. but um, And then a 2-1 uh, win over Brighton. Um, I don't like that draw versus Everton very much. But they're still going to be better than Wolverhampton. Um, obviously, Wolverhampton completely thrashed my team a couple weeks ago. Really, ever since then, that was kind of their last like good standout performance. They've had a good FA Cup run. Um, obviously, not doing that hot in the Premier League because right after that 4-2 win to Chelsea, they're going to drop a, a 2-0 loss to Brentford. Or they didn't even score. Yeah. So um, I- I'm kind of with you. I-, I think a 2-0 score for Tottenham being the winners is uh, couldn't be more perfect for this situation. So 2-0 Tottenham. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the final game that in the only one that I really care about this weekend. Uh, and that's Man City versus Chelsea. Um, Man City. Oh, God. Uh, I hate to break this one to you, uh, Luke. They've won every single game uh, since December 19th. Uh, when they defeated the Urawa Red Diamonds in the Club World Cup. Um, yeah, look, they just they don't lose. And if we want to go back to unbeatens, uh, they haven't lost since December 6th against Aston Villa. Um, look, Man City is ridiculous. And now, in that span, Erling Holland is healthy again, and Kevin De Bruyne has been lighting it up as he's come back to the field as well. Um, yeah, yeah, look, this is Man City takeover time. This is when they do it. This is when everybody's healthy and they're like, oh, well, we should probably win some games. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's win the next 50. Um, 
and they just go yeah. out and do it. Uh, so, yep. look, Bernardo Silva, a little bit banged up. He might play. He might not. It might not matter. Um, you know, I, I do know that Yasko Vardiol is hurt, and he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. That does hurt them, but Nathan Ake is literally doing the exact same thing that Vardiol does uh, on a daily basis. So it's not a huge deal. Look, Man City's going to throw out a lineup that will make you throw up. Um, if your team doesn't have that much money. Um, and Chelsea's going to throw out a lineup that would make you throw up if you knew all the players that they could have had that uh, if they weren't injured in that lineup. So, yeah. I, look, I, I, I want to trust Chelsea, and I want this to be the Cole Palmer revenge game. He might score a goal, uh, but they're not going to win. Uh, I'm going to take Man City 3-1. Give me that Cole Palmer goal, though. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Chelsea are hitting a brick wall right now. I mean, Chelsea have won their last two, both 3-1 wins. One was the Aston Villa FA Cup win, uh, and then the other one was a 3-1 win over Crystal Palace. But it's just um, two games is not enough for Chelsea fans of today to believe that this team has turned it around. And Manchester City are just through and through a much better team than Chelsea. The only thing that I can say is that it feels like Erling, Erling Holland just is not as good as he normally is this season. Yeah. But that's still – Chelsea need a lot more than that, um, and they're just not going to get it. Um, yeah, I, I really I – don't, I don't have much to add. I know it's, I know it's my team, but um, – I mean, I think we're probably going to see a really good performance from Cole Palmer. I like how you brought that up. There's a, there's an extra meaning to this game for him. Um, and, I mean, Chelsea have played top talent well in the Premier League all season long. Um, so, I I don't know. 2-2 two, two draw. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Last time was a 4-4 draw. <laughs> That's true. And it was exciting. Yeah. Um, to say exciting. the least. Uh, let's go ahead and just talk about the Champions League, though. I'm not. I'm not too worried about talking about the rest of the matches because the fact that those were the three matches we talked about shows you there's not a lot of good ones this weekend. Um, but we did have some good matches in the Champions League. The round of 16 is officially underway. Uh, on Tuesday, we had Man City three, Copenhagen one. Uh, you had a goal coming from Kevin De Bruyne in the 10th minute. Bernardo Silva in the 45th plus one, and then Phil Foden in the 90th plus two. Uh, for Copenhagen, Matson scored in the 34th minute. Um, a fantastic performance by Phil Foden, Kevin De Bruyne, and Bernardo Silva. They really carried this team. Rodri also having a great game. Ederson, not his best game in goal, and Jack Grealish, a bum, which is what he's been all season. Honestly, he's not played it, well. Uh... Did he come in for Jeremy Doku in the 21st minute? Did Doku get hurt? Doku came in in the 21st minute for Grealish. Okay. Um, gotcha. And then the only other substitution they made was uh, Mateus Nunes for Bernardo Silva in the 78th. But look, hmm. if you thought that Copenhagen had a chance against Man City, despite it being in Copenhagen, you're sadly mistaken. And now yeah, they're going to sure. go to Manchester in two weeks, and they're probably just going to finish the job. Yeah. Step uh, on the neck. But one team might have a harder job to finish when they bring it home. Leipzig nil, Real Madrid won. Uh, 
at Red Bull Arena. This was a, I'm going to, yeah, I'll say it was bad for Real Madrid. And hmm, let's uh, let's connect the dots here. No Jude Bellingham, bad performance for Real Madrid. Uh, That's how it goes, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Took a Brahim Diaz goal in the 84th minute that was ridiculous. He fucking fell over, gets back up, keeps (laughs) moving. Honestly, you got to attribute that one also to bad defense by Leipzig. Somebody should have picked him up. He had the ball <laughs> in the final third. Yeah. And just nobody yeah. anywhere near him. Um, but, yeah, no Bellingham was uh, a big part of this one. Uh, and, and he's probably probably going to miss the next matchup as well when it comes back to the Bernabeu, but... I don't know. This is um, Leipzig has a chance to win. I think the, the problem is you're going to the Bernabeu and you couldn't even score goals at home uh, in the next matchup. Yeah. Well, you know, Real Madrid has some key, very, very key injuries on their team. You have Definitely. Jude Bellingham, Rudiger, Militao, Courtois, Alaba, and Nacho. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty ridiculous list there. So they went into a Champions League game against a very tough Bundesliga squad in Leipzig with a very tough fan atmosphere with, you know, not their full team. And they're still going to win 1-0. But, you know, let's not forget what it will probably happen once they take it to Spain. Yeah, and, and if those guys I mean, come back and are healthy, sure. They're, I'm sure they'll look great. Yeah. Um, but if they look like this, uh, there is the chance for Leipzig to, uh, to come back and, uh, you know, get a victory. Or at least pressure them a bit. Um, let's. Uh, yeah, like uh, their their center sorry. back duo. I, sorry, I wanted to bring no, this up good. before we moved on. Their center back duo in this game was Nacho and Schwamini. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Weird. Very yeah. weird. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk about Wednesday's games. This was a big one, and uh, I'd like to a little uh, have a little bit of conversation about this result. Uh, Lazio won. Bayern Munich and nil uh, on a penalty that um, came shortly after uh, an Upe Meccano red card and a Joshua Kimmich yellow card. Um, just crazy to see Lazio pull off an upset. Uh, obviously, this one in uh, Italy, but for Bayern Munich, I think this is a sign of the times, uh, and a lot of it has to do with Thomas Tuchel. He's got to be gone at the end of this year. I know that they don't want to fire him just yet because we kind of talked about that during the transfer window, that they don't want to fire him yet, but he's just not good enough for them right now. With the talent across the field that they've got, like the fact that they have a back two of Upe Meccano and, and, uh, and Kim and honestly their whole you know front six, the midfield and the, and the attack is ridiculous what they're fielding with Kimmich and Goretzka, Musiala, Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané, and Harry Kane up front. This is a team that should be successful. They should be first in the Bundesliga right now. Yep. But but they're not, and they lost to Bayer Leverkusen last week, and they, and they just lost to Lazio midweek. Like, you got to figure something out. Big time. Um, it might be Bayern's first season without a trophy, and and what feels like a very very long time. Um, and, and it really just all comes down to the fact that they signed Harry Kane. Uh, he brought the Tottenham with him, and now the team can't perform. Yeah. 
And it also doesn't help that Javi Alonso is across the way from you. Feel just, I mean, his team is tactically, I mean, maybe the best in the world. They might right be now, right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, honestly, and it'll be it'll be a know, surprise to me if they don't win Europa League and Bundesliga, and and honestly, the DFB Pokal. Yeah, they could win a treble. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, um, not you know treble with an asterisk. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> you didn't win the Champions, Champions League. League or, yeah. Um, yeah. But a treble nonetheless. But, I mean, it's still it's still difficult. You know, those games are middle of the week. Certainly. Your Bundesliga games are on the weekend. It's it's yeah. tough. It's a long. Season. And also, the knockout stages uh, are longer because they have a round of thirty-two. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I I think Bayern, you know, looking into kind of the kind of analyzing this game. Ciro Mobile scored his penalty in the 69th minute, and before that, you didn't make any any subs. So, is is a head coach or manager? Sorry, I'm in NFL mode. Is the <laughs> manager of a team as powerful and as should carry themselves as such, like Bayern Munich, really just not going to make any fucking changes and take a nil nil draw against Lazio in the Champions League just because? You have that security, oh, we're going to take them in Munich in the next leg. Well, now you're down 1-0, and all the pressure's on you. And on top of all the pressure being on you in the Champions League, you're getting beat in the Bundesliga, and you're out of the DFB Pokal already. So I'm, I'm not sensing the urgency in Thomas Tuchel, and I like how you brought it up that it's his problem because, listen, Bayern is a team that I like. I respect yeah. Bayern and the way that they have been able to not necessarily bye 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 all these players, but they have been so consistent throughout my entire life, and I really truly believe they've done it the right way. All of that is in jeopardy right now. Definitely. I, I don't agree. know why I'm getting so passionate over Bayern Munich, but it's just it's frustrating when a team with this much power just is they're, they're just not they're not being aggressive enough. It's like they're they're not really trying hard enough, and it all starts with Tuchel. He needs to go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um I would be interested to see who they would replace him with, though. Um, you know, there's Mourinho. Yeah, well, Jose Mourinho's name is connected to every single job in the world right now. Um, yeah, that is true. But he could bag groceries at the Kroger down the road. Probably. Yeah, and and I'd be like, holy shit, he's a mastermind. How the, how the fuck did he put that in that bag? <laughs> but um, oh, right, our final result from uh, this past week: uh, PSG two, Real Sociedad nil. Uh, you had goals from Mbappe and Barcola. Um, I just, uh, yeah, man, it's work. You know, they clocked in, clocked out. We'll say this one at the Park de Prince, um, which is yeah. a big deal. Uh, I but I, I like Real Sociedad. They played so bad, <laughs> like so, <laughs> so bad in this match. I, I caught a, a, you know, the the second half of this one, and yeah, they just looked bad. Like really, 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 really bad. Um, you know, I hope they can, you know, bring it back uh, to Spain and and do something. I don't think they will. I think I, I definitely don't see them overcoming a two nil deficit um, when they bring it back. I just I think it's crazy that in February of this season for PSG, Ramos and Colomani are on the bench. <laughs> Didn't take long. And, no. <laughs> and also, you know, it's a midweek match. Maybe they're starting on the weekends. I'm not watching Liga soccer. Uh, yeah, I, that's for sure. I actually did a couple weeks ago, uh, only because PSG was the team that was playing. But um, okay. 
they they love this front three. This is kind of what I've been seeing from them. Um, like, okay, let's what, be what honest. Really let's be happy. honest. Randall Kulamawani, Mbappe, and Gonzalo Ramos are all strikers. <laughs> that was the whole problem with yeah. this whole thing, was that they were trying yeah. to force them to play positions that are just not the positions they're good at. Whereas, Usman Dembele is a good right wing when he is healthy. And... and yeah. And I, I like Bradley Barcola. He's only 21 years old. He's a great up-and-coming young player. Marco Asensio can also play left wing and right wing. They have guys that can play those positions. Why force Randall Colomawani and Gonzalo Ramos onto the field? At this point, Gonzalo Ramos might not even get on the field at any point in the 90 minutes. But Randall Colomawani can make an impact off the bench. And I think for now, that's where he needs to be. I think for, for PSG, it was just the fact that Ramos and Kolomoani were coming off of ridiculous seasons before sure. this season. And they just, yeah. you know, they just wanted to try to force them in there. And to your point, it didn't work out. But what I've really liked with PSG is Osmane Dembele has had a complete resurgence of his entire career. Definitely, You saw him at Dortmund kicking everybody's ass. And then he makes like a really, really quick move to Barcelona and kind of becomes a meme over there and now he's back at Dortmund playing or uh sorry back at PSG playing like you know nothing ever happened and it's really cool to see him kind of uh break out again yeah um, because I was waiting on it Agreed. for a while uh let's look ahead real quick to next week's matches we don't have to you know give any kind of breakdown um these are just kind of the slate for next week uh you've got Inter versus Atletico Madrid you have PSV versus Dortmund um oof that's a Brutal matchup. I don't know if I want to watch that at yeah. all. Uh, you have yeah, uh, Porto terrible. versus Arsenal um, and Napoli versus Barcelona. Um, any Ooh. kind of upset potential uh, anywhere around there? Uh, definitely Porto, uh, for sure. I, I know Arsenal's been kicking ass, but Porto and the Champions League are just different. That's true. That's that's definitely yeah. true. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to... Honestly, is it the best segment that we've done in in the history of this show? It's definitely the most fun I've it's had, and be. it's consistent. I have so yeah. much fun every time we do it. Well, it's questions time, time, if you couldn't already tell. And um, Nathan, I'm just going to say this right now directly to you, as Luke does to answer your questions a lot. I, I'm i not even going to try and read whatever the fuck that means um, in whatever language that is. I don't know. Looks... Uh, like so- South Asian, uh, maybe. I have no idea. Probably means questions time. <laughs> yeah, it means something. It, it must mean more questions. Uh, questions is in English. Uh, all right, this one's a question for you directly. Uh, I will have no input. Uh, Luke, what should Grayson's first drink be on Monday for his twenty-first birthday? Oh man, your first drink ever? Yeah. Shit. Well, what, it's obviously it got to be a good one. Um. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a beer. Gotcha. For a, any for a first drink? Any recommendations? A, a beer recommendation? Yeah. Why not? Um, a good starter beer. I I would do any of the light ones. Um, if you want an underrated one to try, do Corona Premier. Not a lot of people buy those, but they're okay. Um, what was Modelo <laughs> Oro <review>. as well? <laughs> yeah, 
Modelo Oro is another underrated okay. solid light beer. Uh, but if you wanted to go with any of the name ones like Michelob or um, or Corona, those are obviously going to be good choices. Not a big Miller Light guy, but that seems to be the most popular one. Um, or you can just you know fuck it, do a bourbon birthday. 21st. Yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll probably be at the time that I I take my first legal drink as a twenty one year old. I'll probably be editing the podcast <laughs> on Sunday night. So, uh, yeah, yeah. we'll uh, you know we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll see what's in the house. I'll make a I'll make a game time decision. Um, Can I talk about my first alcohol drink? Yeah, what like was my it? first drink that I was, was ever into? Uh, I was into White Claws. Yeah, and now I couldn't even bring myself to drink yeah. any seltzer. Of I'm any a, I'm a sparkling water guy, actually. Uh, I uh, I finished off this uh this grapefruit bubbly uh right before we started oh, drink, yeah. uh right before we started recording. Uh I've been really big into the the uh like sparkling waters. Um cuz me and me so me and Nathan decided we're not doing soda. Um and I'm not doing sweet tea either. Oh. So I wow. literally I it's just water. <laughs> and so I've I've gone to the sparkling <laughs> waters which I already liked in the first place. I just didn't buy them all the time. Bubbly is amazing. I'm also, you know, I like LaCroix. Uh, I like, like, Polar is also a really good brand. But, yeah, the uh, the Bubbly's have been where it's at. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, let's get to the next question. Uh, if the two of you ran 10 routes against each other, 10 wide receivers each and 10 cornerback each, who would have the most receptions and who would have the most interceptions? Nathan is the quarterback. Uh, well, oh, that's, that's good because you have got, I mean, all Nathan had, I would have to do is put it up there. No matter yeah. if I'm faster than you or yeah. not. I have, I have height and physicality on you. I'm going to just say it right now. I think I have okay hands considering I'm not good at football. Yeah. So I, I would give you, if I was cornerback, I would give you a solid six or seven. Wow. Okay. Because the other other side of that is, you know, with Nathan having to put it up there for you, yeah. there's probably going to be a lot of throws that he may miss. That that is true. That is true. Trying to throw it away from me. Okay. Um. Now the, the I mean, with me being a wide receiver, I would just have to try to separate. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, that's the really big thing. It. Not you could just run a post you. every time. You could press me and put me in my end zone if you wanted to. Yes. And that would <laughs> so, certainly be my approach. In case you were wondering, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I would have to get out of a press, but um, I, I would give myself about the same, like six or seven. There okay. would probably be four times where I just get entirely pressed by you. Okay, I so I think you're giving each of us and Nathan too much credit uh, on both sides of the ball. I think it's more like I, I'd probably give up four, and I'd probably catch three or four. Okay. Uh, interceptions wise, I think I could get one interception, max. I, I'm gonna. I, I don't think I would get one. Okay. Just Not because, like, if no. Nathan throws one and it's a little up, and like you have to slow down for it, and I just catch up to it, you know, only because I yeah. I have the height advantage on you. Um. Yeah, that one's an interesting one. Well, maybe we'll yeah. just have to try that out one time. Um. Oh, second and short video. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, yeah. how many home runs will the league leader have this year? In the MLB. Oh wow, that is so a really, really good So this past season, question. it was Matt Olson. Um, I believe he had 52, 54. 
54 home runs for Matt Olson last year. He was the league leader. Hmm. I'm going to go with like 48. I just feel like um, the past two seasons in a row, we've seen some just ridiculous home run counts that are just abnormal. So I'm going to take it back down again. But in saying that, I think that there will be more home runs for uh, from other people. Gotcha. It just you won't have another guy in the fifties. I I think we're going to see a sixty. I think we'll see a sixty this year. Um, Really? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, it could be anybody, um, but I think we'll see one just because it's it's we're trending that way. People are giving up runs. People are giving up a lot of home runs. Definitely. Um, you know, obviously we saw Judge do his thing uh, two years ago. Matt Olson breaking some Braves records this past season. You know, Shohei not even going to be pitching this year. Like last mm-hmm. year, he pitched. And he didn't play the whole final month of the season, and he was first in the AL in home runs. Who knows what he can do if he's just focused on hitting for a year? Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think maybe we'll have somebody hit sixty. Um, so I'll go with that. Um, what pitcher will have the most uh, strikeouts for your team, and how many? Well, pff, uh, Spencer Strider, three hundred. Um, <laughs> that's the that easiest call ever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Who's pitched a 300 strikeout season? Um, here, give me one second. Is it like a 1905? No, guy? no, it's like the popular names uh, for the most part. Okay, obviously there's some names not popular, uh, but like you, yeah. you look at like uh, Sandy Koufax had a 382, Randy what? Johnson 372. the The record is is Matt Kilroy in 1886 with 513. But if we're talking, you know, common era, uh, or even if we're just talking after 1900, uh, Nolan Ryan has the highest uh, with 383 in 1973. The most that, recent would be that, uh, Randy like, Johnson with, in 2001 with 372. In 2001, somebody almost doubled what Spencer Strider had this year? Uh, no, not double. Not almost yeah. double. No, I'm not double. But no. I had a hundred more. Yeah, you had a hundred more. That's ridiculous. I I didn't realize that people were. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Know I don't that. know if you know this. I Garrett Cole has had a 300 strikeout season, 2019. Really? 326. Oh, so it was before. The was, yeah. Yeah. Chris Sale. I I didn't realize 308 that it was 2017. doable. Clayton Damn. Kershaw, 301, 2015. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander both have thrown 300 on the dot. Yeah. Okay, a whole lot well, of 300s. Uh, so I think Strider will be the next. Okay. Um, dang, this one's hard. Really, I'm really thinking about this one. Okay. I feel like Garrett Cole is an obvious pick for you. Yeah, that's why I'm not taking Garrett Cole. Um, shit, I I really don't know. Maybe like I can assure you, it's not. Oh, I'm talking about for your team. Oh, definitely Garrett Cole. My bad. I thought we were talking oh, about the whole MLB. Yeah, the question yeah, is for your team. Garrett Cole. Sorry, Kodai would be a, a good a take time. though. 
Yeah, I mean, Kodai, you know, like I brought up, had 160 innings pitched and still made it to 200. So yeah. who knows if he can last longer in games. Yeah. Uh, all right, next question, second to last, the penultimate question. Uh, Luke, what's your favorite color? And Grayson, what color do you think you see is your favorite? Uh, that was nice. How funny. Wow. Uh, so, Luke, what is your favorite color? Just, you didn't have to read that, man. No, you could have just been nope. like, Luke, what's your favorite color? No, nah, I read that part. Oh, my fucking God. Well, y'all are brothers, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm colorblind, so by the I... way. In case anybody was wondering. Yeah. We've addressed it multiple times, um, though. We have. Um, You know, since I don't really have a favorite color, I really like the colorway of this Brooks hat. And I also like the like a Miami Vice looking colorway. But as far as just one color, I really don't have one. Gotcha. I think mine would just be red uh, of all varieties. Um, When it comes down to it, all of my teams wear red. That's the common factor between every single team I root for. They all wear red. Uh, So, you know, Braves, Falcons, Florida State. Hawks, Hawks, all of them, other than Newcastle, um, but that's not a big deal. Um, so yeah, I'd probably go red, second, navy blue. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you could probably tell uh, <laughs> because that's the two colors that are on the screen uh, at all times and in everything for this uh, for this podcast. So yeah, I uh, I clearly uh, have two favorite colors, and they're red and, and navy blue. Uh, next thing, final question. Who was the last person you texted before the recording started? I believe it would be um, Mr. Luke Morozik. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine, I think it was mine you. is either. I'm looking at it right now. It was um, you, um, for me. You texted me at four o'clock. Uh, we didn't start much after four. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was either you or my girlfriend. Cause I, I text my girlfriend on Snapchat. So it was gotcha. either one of y'all two, but I think it was you. So it was each other. Look, oh yeah, Grayson and I are perfect for yeah. each other. <laughs> We're he soulmates. Just won't pull the what, what do you know? <laughs> uh, before that, though, the last person I texted, uh, well, it was a group chat of the guys that we all played disc golf. Um, so Nathan and Colin are a part of that, um, as well as Adrian, Savi, Lucas. Y'all know what's up. Shout out. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What the last one before? Me, I guess, would have been your girlfriend, or vice versa. She uh, last one. Before you was my uh, peer partner in my reporting two class. Nice, hell yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, she didn't. Ass- she didn't assignment. We called it the unicorn assignment, where she had to write about one unique thing about me after interviewing me, and I got to plug the podcast in front of my entire class, and nice. it is a lecture hall. So everybody knows about Second and Short. I mean, this episode will probably get like, I don't know, 1.2 mil views on YouTube. So, I mean, yeah, I got to shout it out there. All right. Well, that's a fantastic <laughs> note to end this podcast on. For all of those listeners that are coming from Luke's, uh, you know, journalism lecture or whatever it was, um, thank you for listening. And uh, if you can see me right now pointing into the camera, I want you to subscribe to Second Short, and then you can also like, comment, follow, turn on post notifications on YouTube. Then if you're on the podcast platforms and you're listening to me through your headphones, your AirPods, your car speakers, uh, a boombox from 1980, (laughs) uh, whatever you're listening to me through, uh, you should go to that podcast platform. You should rate five stars and follow us there. Then you should go to the link tree or... 
If you're on YouTube, look at those links right down here below me and Luke and uh, visit those. Follow us, interact, comment, send us a DM. I don't know. Uh, and then join the subreddit. And uh, it's 2ND, A-N-D, short. Super easy. R slash 2ND, A-N-D, short. And you can submit your questions. Submit them by about 4 o'clock on Thursday. And they will be featured on Questions Time on the podcast. Luke, anything for the people? Um, yeah, I just wish the Hawks were better. <laughs> I, I, I watched them play last night. I, 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 me and my girlfriend went out to a nice dinner. Uh, we sat at the bar. And, uh, yeah, I, we were down by, like, six points, like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then we get our food, I eat, I look up, and we're down by, like, almost 20. I'm just tired of it, man. I, I really am trying to keep up with the Hawks this year, and they are just incredibly frustrating to watch. Yeah, it's I gave rude. up on them when we lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bucks, which was three, <laughs> two, three years ago. Yeah, don't even remind I've me. I've given up that. on Trey Young as well. Um, just saying. Uh, all right. Uh, anything Whoa. else? Yeah, no, I'm giving up on Trey Young. We can't win. A, we will not win the finals with Trey Young as a, uh, on our team. Um, I've heard rumors about him getting traded. I'd love it. Uh, all right. Well, uh, maybe there's a reason I'm not a huge Hawks fan. Um, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know that uh, there's no football this weekend, unfortunately. First weekend of nothing. No football. There is, you know, hockey and basketball and such that you can enjoy. And um, with that being said, uh, me and Colin will see you on Monday. Luke will be back right where we sit once again next week uh, for another episode. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. And uh, we'll catch you guys on Monday. Peace.